This recording was produced by Green Lane Masjid. For more information on the activities and services the mosque provides, please visit www.greenlanemasjid.org. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Wal-Aqibatu lil-Muttaqeen. Wal-Aqibatu lil-Muttaqeen. Wal-Aqibatu وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له ولي الصالحين وأشهد أن نبينا محمد عبده ورسوله النبي المصطفى الأمين اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين أما بعد So today is the 20th day of Ramadan of the year 1441 of the Hijrah and therefore this is the 20th session in the reading and the commentary of Tafsirul Jalalain by the two authors Jalaluddin al-Mahalli and Jalaluddin al-Suyuti alayhima rahmatullahi ta'ala and with this being the 20th day of Ramadan that means that we're very very close to entering into the last 10 nights of Ramadan which begin this evening for us in the UK after Salat al-Maghrib the 21st night of Ramadan is when the last 10 nights of Ramadan begin and it is well known and I think doesn't need a great deal of explanation the virtues and the benefits and the rewards that are available in these last 10 nights of Ramadan and it is the reason for which the Prophet would make itikaf in these last 10 nights for the hadith that is in Sahih al-Bukhari the Prophet one year made itikaf in the first 10 nights of Ramadan and then Jibreel came to him and he said to him what you are seeking is ahead of you. So he made i'tikaf in the last, in the middle 10 nights of Ramadan. And then Jibreel came to him and said again, what you are seeking is ahead of you. Meaning that he's seeking the reward of Laylatul Qadr. So then the Prophet gathered the companions and he said, Laylatul Qadr is in the last 10 nights of Ramadan. And there is a great deal of difference of opinion amongst the scholars of Islam as to which exact night Laylatul Qadr is and there are various narrations that seem to support different opinions from the 21st to the 23rd to the 27th and so on and some of the scholars reconciled and it is a strong opinion Allah knows best that therefore Laylatul Qadr is a night that changes every year that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made it a night that isn't known in the hadith the Prophet said sallallahu alayhi wa sallam I was told specifically which night is Laylatul Qadr but then when he came and he saw two companions arguing and he settled their argument, he had forgotten it. And there is goodness in that because then we have to work hard for those last 10 nights of Ramadan in order to seek the virtues of Laylatul Qadr. And Laylatul Qadr is the night that Allah Azza described in the Quran as being khayrun min alfi shahr, better than a thousand months of worship. And so to stand that night in prayer, to make dua, to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to do all of those other good deeds from the dhikr of Allah Azza wa Jal and so on, it is extremely and highly recommended. And that was the whole purpose for which the Prophet would make itikaf. And as some of the early scholars of Islam from the Tabi'een said, that it's not known that the Prophet ever missed a year of itikaf. That he used to make itikaf each and every single year, وسلم, seeking out the rewards and the virtues of this amazing night. And in the hadith of Aisha, she said, O oh, Messenger of Allah, tell me a dua that I can read in these last 10 months of Ramadan. And the Prophet told her, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, say, Allahumma innaka afuun tuhibbul afwa fa'fu anni. O oh, Allah, you are the one who is all pardoning and you love to pardon, so pardon me. And that is a, a dua that you can make at any time. 
but especially in the last 10 nights of Ramadan, it has an extra status and virtue. And some of the scholars, when they commented on this hadith, they said, one of the reasons why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or the Prophet recommended a dua for us, that is about forgiveness and pardon, is clearly number one because one of the main goals of Ramadan is to have forgiveness of our sins and to seek emancipation from the fire of hell that Allah frees us from Jahannam and from the benefits that he said also is because sometimes a person after having completed 20 days of Ramadan may feel a certain level of arrogance or pride or even accomplishment that they managed to do the vast majority of the month. And so in order to humble a person and to let them know that actually their hardest days of Ramadan should be ahead of them, not the 20 that have passed, but the 10 nights that are remaining, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala recommended that we make this dua. And as the companions used to describe the Prophet in these last 10 nights, that he would redouble his efforts, that he would tighten his belt, meaning that he would have more energy in terms of ibadah, and he would spend the night awake in worship, and he would wake his family and he would encourage them to stay awake with him sallallahu alayhi wasallam so we ask allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by his most beautiful names and lofty attributes that allah azza wa jal gives us the ability to seek and find laylatul qadr this year and that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala showers his mercy and forgiveness upon us and upon our parents and our families and that allah azza wa jal makes us from amongst those people who are freed from the fire of hell the question that I asked yesterday uh, in, in our tafsir was the verse in Surah Al-Qasas in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says إِنَّكَ لَا تَهْدِي مَنْ نَحْبَبْتَ وَلَكِنَّ اللَّهَ يَهْدِي مَنْ يَشَاءُ You do not guide those whom you love, but it is Allah who guides whomsoever He wills. And I said in another verse, in the penultimate verse of Surah Al-Shura, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says something which seems to apparently conflict with this, and that is that Allah says وَإِنَّكَ لَا تَهْدِي and you, meaning the Prophet ﷺ, guide to the straight path. So on the one hand, he's being told that you don't guide, and on the other hand, he's being told that he gives guidance. So how do we reconcile and understand these two verses? And the answer to that, and Allah knows best, is that guidance is of two types. One is the guidance of showing someone the truth, and showing them the path of guidance. And that is the role of all of the Prophets and Messengers of Allah, and especially our Prophet ﷺ. So when Allah says, وَإِنَّكَ لَتَهْدِي إِلَى صِرَاطٍ مُسْتَقِيمٍ You guide to the straight path, meaning that you make clear to them the straight path. You show them the straight path. You convey the message of what is the straight path. And the verse in Surah Al-Qasas, which then negates from the Prophet ﷺ guidance, is the second type of guidance. And that is the guidance of acceptance. And that is only in the hands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That a person accepts that guidance and follows that guidance, that is, in the hands of Allah and not in the hands of any other person, including our Prophet And that's why the Prophet in Mecca, he told the Quraysh and he made clear for them the path and he told them the way to Allah That is the guidance of what he can do, of conveying the message. But the guidance of acceptance, that is in the hands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so that is the meaning between those two verses and Allah knows best. So we come, inshallah, we continue with the tafsir of Surah Al-Ankabut from where we left off yesterday, which is at the beginning of the 21st juz of the Qur'an, verse 46 of Surah Al-Ankabut. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Wa sallallahu wa sallam wa baraka ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Allahumma khfirli shaykhina wa liwalidina wa li jami'al muslimin. 
أما بعد قال المصنف رحمه الله تعالى في تفسير قوله تعالى أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم ولا تجادلوا أهل الكتاب إلا بالتي هي أحسن إلا الذين ظلموا منهم Only argue the people of the book in the kindest way such as by calling people to Allah by his signs and calling attention to his proofs except in the case of those of them who do wrong by fighting you and refusing to pay the jizya in which case argue with them by means of the sword until they become Muslim or pay the jizya وَقُولُوا آمَنَّا بِالَّذِي أُنزِلَ إِلَيْنَا وَأُنزِلَ إِلَيْكُمْ Saying to those who agree to pay the jizya when they tell you about what is in their books we believe in what has been sent down to us and what was sent down to you. In other words, do not say that they are telling the truth or accuse them of lying. Our God and your God are one, and we submit to Him. In verse 46 of Surah Al-Ankabut, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is speaking about the people of the book, and that is after the first 45 odd verses that we covered yesterday, in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about the importance of guidance, and again is establishing the signs that, that show he deserves to be worshipped alone subhanahu wa ta'ala then Allah Azza wa gave us those examples of some of the early prophets from Nuh and Ibrahim and Lut and then he mentioned in passing the other prophets and nations of Allah subhanahu wa that Allah Azza wa sent to them prophets and then Allah Azza wa gave us the parable of the spider the parable after which the surah is named and how flimsy those people who worship other than Allah Azza wa Jal, how flimsy that worship of other than Allah Azza wa Jal is. And so then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in verse 46 now speaks about the people of the book. And it is because of verses like this in Surah Al-Ankabut that we have the difference of opinion amongst the scholars concerning whether this surah is Makki or Madani, or whether it is a Makki surah with some exceptions of verses. And so from the scholars who said that it is a Madani surah is Qatada, rahimahullah ta'ala, the student of Anas ibn Malik radiyallahu anhu and others from amongst the companions. And it is because Allah Azza wa is referring to the people of the book in this surah. And generally when Allah Azza wa speaks about the people of the book generally in the Quran, it is a Madani surah. The vast majority of the scholars though said that it is a Makki surah. And even though it is a Makki surah, there is no reason why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala cannot address some of its verses to the people of the book or to other than the people of Quraysh. وَكَذَلِكَ أَنزَلْنَا إِلَيْكَ الْكِتَابِ Accordingly, we have sent down the book, meaning the Qur'an, just as the Torah and other books were sent down to them, to you. فَالَّذِينَ آتَيْنَاهُمُ الْكِتَابَ يُؤْمِنُونَ بِهِ And those to whom we gave the book, meaning the Torah, a reference to people like Abdullah ibn Salam and others, believe in it, meaning the Qur'an. وَمِنْ هَأُولَاءِ مَنْ يُؤْمِنُوا بِهِ And some of these people, meaning people of Mecca, believe in it as well. وَمَا يَجْحَدُ بِآيَاتِنَا إِلَّا الْكَافِرُونَ Only the unbelievers deny our signs after they have become clear. This refers to the Jews who denied when it was clear to them that the Qur'an was the truth. And the one who wrote it was speaking the truth. They still denied it. And that is one tafsir. But the verse can also be said to be general as Allah says, وَمَا يَجْحَدُ بِآيَاتِنَا إِلَّا الْكَافِرُونَ It is the disbelievers who deny our signs, meaning all of them. And that includes the Quraysh, and it includes the Mushrikeen of the Arabs, and includes the people of the book and others. You never recited any book before it, meaning the Quran, nor did you write one down with your right hand, even if you had been able to read and write. 
If you had the purveyors of falsehood, meaning the Jews, would have voiced their doubts about you by saying, It is in the Torah that he will be literate, neither able to read or write. بَلْ هُوَ آيَاتٌ بَيِّنَاتٌ فِي صُدُورِ الَّذِينَ أُوتُوا الْعِلْمِ No, it, meaning the Qur'an which you have brought, is clear signs reposited in the hearts of those who have been given knowledge, meaning those who believe in it and memorize it. وَمَا يَجَحَدُ بِآيَاتِنَا إِلَّا الظَّالِمُونَ All your wrongdoers deny our signs. The Jews deny them after they have become clear to them. In these verses 48 and 49, Firstly, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is speaking about one of the signs of the truthfulness of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. وَمَا كُنْتَ تَتْرُوا مِنْ قَبْلِهِ مِنْ كِتَابٍ You were never known to read and recite a book from before. And we mentioned this, I think, in passing before in the hadith of Abu Sufyan, radiyallahu anhu, before he becomes a Muslim in al-Bukhari, when he goes and he meets the Caesar of Byzantine Rome. And from the questions that Hiraqal asks him, is did anyone claim prophethood from his ancestors before him? Meaning the Prophet sallallahu and Abu Sufyan says, no, we've never known this from our people before. And Abu Sufyan, uh, the Hiraqal, replies to Abu Sufyan when he explains the reasoning behind his questioning later on in the hadith. He says, had you said, yes, someone had claimed it before, I would have thought that he's someone who's just following someone who came before him. He's just following, trying to take the same claim to fame that others have made before him. So Allah is saying that the Prophet never claimed to have recitation, a revelation before, never recited a book before, wasn't known for this. This is something in the 40 years that he lived amongst them that he was known for. He wasn't a poet, he wasn't someone who was literate in that sense, he wasn't someone who would read from the scriptures of others. Nor was it something that you used to write with your own hand. He was known to be illiterate, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And this is from the signs of his nubuwa. And from that which explains that also is then that therefore the Qur'an is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that is what is referred to in the hadith in Sahih Muslim in which the Prophet sallallahu said and from what has been revealed to me is that which water cannot erase. It is read by the one who is asleep and the one who is awake. Meaning that it is a speech from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that even if you were to remove the writing of it from a, a tablet by water or erase it, it is still memorized in the hearts of people. People have memorized it and that is why Today across the world, even if the Qur'an isn't available, even if someone didn't have access to the Qur'an, there are hundreds of thousands if not millions of Muslims across the world who have memorized it by heart from cover to cover. That is from the miracle of the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the hadith in al-Bukhari of Abu Huraira radiallahu anhu, the Prophet said sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, every single Prophet was given a sign by which his people would know that he was truthful. And as for me, I have been given this revelation. Meaning that it is the greatest miracle of the miracles of the Prophet ﷺ. That the people follow and understand that this revelation is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Al-Imam al-Tabari and Ibn Kathir rahimahullah ta'ala in verses 48 and 49. Their tafsir is that the two verses are connected. They are related. And what they say is that the meaning of these verses is that the people or, or knowledge is to know that the Prophet ﷺ never recited a book before, nor did he write anything with his own hand. That is the clear signs that Allah has placed in the hearts of the believers. So they connect the two verses. They don't differentiate between the two, and they don't say that it is necessarily concerning the Jews of Medina or others, but rather they connect between the two, that from the greatest signs that Allah has placed in the hearts of people is what is mentioned in verse 48, that he never recited any book before, nor did he write anything down with his own hand. And in verse 49 is one of those 
examples of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaking about the virtue of knowledge and the virtue of the scholars of Islam. Because Allah says, بَلْ هُوَ آيَاتٌ بَيِّنَاتٌ فِي صُدُورِ الَّذِينَ أُوتُ الْعِلْمِ There are clear signs in the hearts of those to whom we have given knowledge. And so Allah Azza wa Jalla again is referring to the people of knowledge. And often in the Quran, in the most important issues concerning our religion, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brings about the testimony of the scholars. In, in earlier on in the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told us in Surah Ali Imran, Abat Tawheed, Shahid Allah, Annahu la ilaha illahu. When Allah testifies to His oneness and the angels, Allah mentions the scholars. When He speaks about His khashya, fearing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He says that it is the scholars to do so. And now when it comes to speaking about the truthfulness of the message of the Prophet wasallam, it is again the testimony of the scholars that is being brought. It is the knowledge that Allah has placed in the hearts of the people of knowledge. وَقَالُوا لَوْ لَا أُنزِلَ عَلَيْهِ آيَاتٌ مِّن رَبِّهِ They, the unbelievers of Mecca say, why have no signs read as ayat and ayah in the singular, such as the Sheikh Hamul of Salih, the staff of Musa, and the table of Isa being sent down to him, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, from his Lord. Qul Say to them, the signs are with Allah, who sends them down however he wishes. I'm only a clear warner, someone who makes the warning about the fire clear to the people who are disobedient. In verse 50, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that they ask for signs. And in the previous verse, Allah is saying that he has the greatest of signs, which is the Qur'an. Which shows that these people were not sincere in the attempt to believe or accept the guidance and the truth that came to them. Because they have the Qur'an which they acknowledge as being something which is miraculous. But then they say, why doesn't he bring other signs? Why doesn't he have other miracles? And so Allah is saying that these are people who even if you were to send them a sign, they wouldn't believe in it. أَوَلَمْ يَكْفِهِمْ أَنَّا أَنزَلْنَا عَلَيْكَ الْكِتَابَ يُتْلَى عَلَيْهِمْ Is it not enough for them regarding what they ask for that we have sent down to you the book, meaning the Qur'an which is recited to them? It is a continuing sign that will never end, which is not the case with the other signs which have been mentioned. إِنَّ فِي ذَلِكَ لَرَحْمَةً يُؤْمِنُونَ There is certainly a mercy and reminder in that book for people who believe. And in verse 51, what the author Al-Mahalli rahimahullah ta'ala mentions is from what is one of the unique aspects of the Prophet wasallam, a virtue that he was given that no other Prophet received. And that is that his miracle would continue after him. Every other Prophet receives a miracle that ends when the miracle ends or it ends by the end of their life, doesn't continue after them. Except for the Prophet wasallam, and the exception to that is the Qur'an, the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that continues until the end of time. Say, Allah is a sufficient witness between me and you regarding my truthfulness. He knows everything in the heavens and the earth, including my state and yours. Those who believe in falsehood, that which is worshipped instead of Allah, and reject Allah, they are the losers in their transaction, since they exchange belief for unbelief. They ask you to hasten the punishment. If it were not for a stipulated term, the punishment would have come to them already. It, meaning the punishment, will come upon them suddenly when they are not expecting it. 
يستعجلونك بالعذاب وإن جهنم لمحيطة بالكافرين They ask you to hasten the punishment in this world but how already encircles the unbelievers يوم يغشاهم العذاب من فوقهم ومن تحت أرجلهم ويقول ذوقوا ما كنتم تعملون On the day the punishment envelops them from above them and from underneath their feet he will say but as يقول and نقول we will say Taste the punishment as a repayment for what you were doing, meaning you will not escape it. Ya ibadiya alladheena amanu inna ardi wasi'atun fa'iyyaya fa'budun. My slaves, you who believe, my earth is wide, so worship me alone. Worship me in a place where it is easy to worship, where, where it is easy to worship me, to which you should immigrate if you are living in a land in which it is not easy to worship Allah. This was revealed about the weak Muslims of Mecca who were too constrained to be able to practice their Islam there. In verse 56, and that is the opinion of many of the scholars of tafsir, that this verse speaks about the hijrah to Medina, and that Allah is saying, in the ardi wasi'ah, Allah is saying, my earth is wide, extensive, travel to a land in which you can freely worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Every self will taste death. Then you will be returned to us. But as turja'un and yurja'un, they will be returned. وَالَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَعَمِلُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ لَنُبَوِّئَنَّهُمْ مِنَ الْجَنَّةِ غُرَفًا تَجْرِي مِنْ تَحْتِهَا الْأَنْهَارُ خَالِدِينَ فِيهَا As for those who believe and do right actions, we will lodge them. Read as, نُبَوِّئَنَّهُمْ and also, نُثْوِيَنَّهُمْ نُثْوِيَنَّهُمْ Which is the reading of Hamza and Ali and Khalaf. And also from, from Thaw, which means to reside in a dwelling, in lofty chambers in paradise, with rivers flowing under them, remaining in them timelessly forever. How excellent is the reward of those who act. And that is from the descriptions that Allah gives of Jannah, that in Jannah there are rooms or there are chambers. As is in the hadith of Abu Malik al-Ash'ari radiallahu anhu the Muslim Ibn Mahbad, inna fi jannati ghurafan yura zahiruha min ba'tiniha. Indeed, in Jannah there are chambers or rooms. Inside of them you can see what is outside, and outside of them you can see what is within them. Allah has prepared them for those who feed others, and are soft in their speech, and fast regularly, and pray during the night whilst others sleep. Those who are steadfast in the face of persecution by the idolaters, and in making hijrah to give victory to the deen. And put their trust in their Lord that He will provide for them from where they do not expect. How many creatures do not carry their provision with them because they are weak? Allah provides for them and He will for you. Muhajirun. Even if you have no provision or maintenance with you. He is the all-hearing of what you say, the all-knowing of your inner thoughts. In verse 60, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is speaking about how He is the one who provides and maintains and sustains subhanahu wa ta'ala. And He does so by mentioning the, this example of many of the animals and creatures. And how many creatures, meaning from the animals and the birds and others, they cannot carry their provisions. Meaning, number one, that they don't have the ability to carry a great amount of food with them, they can only carry what, what, what is immediately in front of them, that meal. 
They can only carry what they have. It's not like us where you can go and you can buy a great deal of things in a single uh, shopping spree or in a single moment. They can only take what they find in front of them. The bird goes and it sees the one, he eats that one. And so the, and the animals go and they take what they do. So they don't have the ability, number one. That is one tafsir, as mentioned here by, by, um, by Al-Mahalli rahimahullah. The other tafsir is that they are not able to keep things beyond that day. Meaning that they cannot uh, preserve their food. Unlike us, they cannot store. So Al-Imam Al-Tabir said that the animals don't have the ability, generally speaking, to store for many great days or weeks beyond that period of time. So Allah is saying to the Muhajirun, look at around you all of these animals and birds that Allah provides for and Allah will provide for you as well. And Ibn Kathir combined between both of those meanings. That just as Allah provides for those animals that cannot gather much, nor can they store, then likewise Allah will provide for you. وَلَئِنْ سَأَلْتَهُمْ مَنْ خَلَقَ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضَ وَسَخَّرَ الشَّمْسَ وَالْقَمَرَ وَلَيَقُولُنَّ اللَّهِ If you ask them, meaning the unbelievers, who created the heavens and the earth and made the sun and moon subservient, they would say, Allah. فَأَنَّا يُؤْفَكُونَ So how have they been perverted? How then have they been turned from believing in Allah's oneness after having affirmed it? الله يبسط الرزق لمن يشاء من عباده ويقدر له الله expands the provision of any of his slaves he wills as a test and restricts it to whomever he wishes to test them إن الله بكل شيء عليم Allah has knowledge of all things including where to expand provision and where to restrict it وَلَئِنْ سَأَلْتَهُمْ مَنْ نَزَّلَ مِنَ السَّمَاءِ مَاءً فَأَحْيَا بِهِ الْأَرْضَ مِنْ بَعْدِ مَوْتِهَا لَيَقُولُنَّ اللَّهِ If you ask them who sends down water from the sky bringing the earth back to life again after it was dead they will say Allah So how can they associate other things with him? قُلِ الْحَمْدُ لِلَّهِ Say to them praise be to Allah for establishing the proof against them بَلْ أَكْثَرُهُمْ لَا يَعْقِلُونَ But most of them do not use their intellect and do not understand the contradiction in that. وَمَا هَذِهِ الْحَيَاةُ الدُّنْيَا إِلَّا وَلَعِبَ The life of this world is nothing but a game and a diversion. Actions which bring about nearness to Allah are a matter of the next world because they cause its fruits to appear in this world. وَإِنَّ الدَّارَ الْآخِرَةَ لَهِيَ الْحَيَوَانُ لَوْ كَانُوا يَعْلَمُونَ the abode of the next world, that is truly life, if they only knew that. In which case, they would not prefer this world to the next world. In verse number 64, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, The abode of the next world is truly the life if they only knew. Al-Hayawan means, as Ibn Kathir al-Imam al-Qurtubi said, comes from the root word of Haya, which is life. And Hayawan means everlasting life. وَإِنَّ الدَّارَ الْآخِرَةَ لَهِيَ الْحَيَوَانِ Indeed, the life of the next one will be permanent and everlasting. فَإِذَا رَكِبُوا فِي الْفُلْكِ دَعَمُوا اللَّهَ مُخْلِصِينَ لَهُ الدِّينَ When they embark in ships, they call on Allah, making their deen sincerely His, by sincere supplication, not calling on other than Him, out of their realization that He alone can rescue them from their predicament. فَلَمَّا نَجَّاهُمْ إِلَى الْبَرِّ إِذَا هُمْ يُشْرِكُونَ But then when he delivers them safely to land, they associate others with him. لِيَكْفُرُوا بِمَا آتَيْنَاهُمْ Let them be ungrateful for what, meaning the blessings we have given them. وَلِيَتَّمَتَّعُوا فَسَوْفَ يَعْلَمُونَ 
let them enjoy read as and themselves in their worship of idols they will soon know the result this is a threat do they not see, meaning know, that we have established a safe haven, making their land of Mecca a sanctuary, while people all around them are violently dispossessed by killing and capture outside of it? So why do they believe in falsehood, meaning idols, and reject the blessing of Allah by associating others with Him? And this in verse 67 is a meaning that we mentioned yesterday in other places in the Quran that Allah Azza wa Jal a number of times in the Quran reminds the Quraysh of the greatest of blessings that He bestowed upon them, and that is the blessing of peace and security. As Allah Azza wa Jal will say in Surah Quraysh, الَّذِي أَطْعَمَهُمْ مِنْ وَآمَنَهُمْ مِنْ The one who fed you from hunger, and He gave you peace and security from fear. Because the scholars said, as some of the Salaf mentioned, those are the two greatest blessings that Allah Azza wa Jal can bestow upon a people in order for them to have a tranquil, comfortable and safe life. If you have enough food and sustenance coming in for you, your family, and you're not worried where the next meal will come from, you're not worried how the next few days, the next week, the next month will pan out, that is from the greatest of Allah's blessings. As we can see, especially in the times that we're living in, that type of security is extremely important. And number two, safety. That you're not afraid when you go out of your house, you're not afraid when you move around, you're not afraid for your possessions and your property and your life and the life of your family and loved ones. And so when you have those blessings of Allah Azza wa Jal, they should make you better able to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If this month of Ramadan came and we're in fear of our lives and we're in fear of our property and our wealth and we don't know where our meal would come from, this Ramadan would be a very different experience and our enjoyment and ability to worship Allah, to study, to learn, to read the Quran would be very different. So Allah Azza wa Jal mentions this to the people of Quraysh. They had these blessings, but the people around them are being picked off. Takhattuf means to be picked and plucked, meaning that everyone else around them is subject to violence and to hardship and to drought and to famine and to a lack of wealth and provision. And Allah favored the people of Quraysh. Who could do greater wrong than someone who events lies against Allah by associating others with him or denies the truth, meaning the prophet or the book, when it comes to him? No one does greater wrong than such a person. Is there not shelter in hell for the unbelievers? That is where they will end up. As for those who do jihad in our way for our sake, we will guide them to our paths which lead to us. Truly Allah is with the good doers, meaning the believers, by giving help and support. In this final verse of 69, verse 69 of Surah Al-Ankabut, Allah says, Those who strive in our path, or make jihad in our path. What is the jihad that is being referred to here? Some of the scholars said that it is the jihad that we understand of fighting and killing. That is the jihad that is being referred to. But this is a Meccan surah. And it is revealed before the command to fight was given to the Muslims. And so a number of scholars from amongst them, Ibn Atiyah, the famous scholar of Tafsir, said that it refers to a general striving. Those who strive in our path, meaning they strive against their desires, they strive against shaitan, they strive against those other forms of jihad, which often come before the jihad of fighting, which is the internal struggle, the struggle against one's desires and the temptations of the dunya and that of shaitan. 
And Ibn Kathir ta'ala chose the opinion that it is general. Any striving that takes you closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is what is being referred to. And Allah uh, Imam Ibn Al-Qayyim rahimahullah ta'ala has a very nice statement concerning this verse. And he says that Allah Azza wa Jal is saying that those, because Allah says, لَنَهْدِيَنَّهُمْ سُبُولَنَا These people, we will guide them to our paths. He says, therefore, the people who have most guidance are those who strive most. The more that you strive, the more that Allah guides you. The more that you work to come closer to Allah, the more that Allah increases in your guidance. And so it is an exchange. As Allah says in the Quran, وَيَزِيدُ اللَّهُ الَّذِينَ اهْتَدَوْا هُدَى Allah increases those who have guidance with further guidance. Meaning that they work for that guidance, so Allah Azza wa gives it to them. And he says, and therefore the best type of jihad, Ibn Qayyim continues, that a person can make in this regard, is the jihad of the nafs. When you fight against your own soul, your desires, your temptations, the whisperings of shaitan. That is the best way of making that type of jihad. And Allah Azza wa knows best. Surah Al-Rum, the Romans. This surah is Meccan except for Ayah 17, which is Medina. It has 60 ayat and was sent down after Al-Intiqaq. In, so this is the 30th surah of the Quran and that is Surah Al-Rum. Surah Al-Rum referring to the Romans. And we mentioned before that the word Rum or Romans in the text of the Qurans and the texts of the Quran and the Sunnah and in the context refers to the Byzantine Romans and not the Romans that we think of the Italian Roman Empire. The Byzantine Romans are an extension of the Italian Roman Empire, but the Arabs were not familiar with Italy and Rome and what took place in Europe. They were familiar with the Byzantines that were closer at hand to them. And so the meaning of a Rome is Romans. But it's referring to those Romans in that part of the world which conquered the Levant area, greater Syria, Asham, and Turkey, modern-day Turkey, that area that they conquered and their capital was in Constantinople, which is modern-day Istanbul. And this is, as the author Ta'ala mentions, a Makki surah, that is by Ijma' of the scholars of Tafsir, Ibn Kathir al-Qurtum, Ibn Atiyah and others, even though some of them said that one or two of them, are, or one or two of the verses are an exception to that rule. بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم ألف لام الله knows best what is meant by that غلبت الروم the Romans have been defeated this means the people of the book whom the Persians who are not people of the book and who worshipped idols defeated the unbelievers of Mecca were delighted by that event. They said to the Muslims, we will defeat you as Persia defeated the Romans. So this surah is named after the Romans because of this opening passage. And Allah Azza wa Jal says, And in that period of history, in the Meccan period, a time came in which the Romans were defeated by their arch enemies and the other superpower of that time, which was the Sassanid Persian Empire. And they would constantly have back and forth fighting between them. And that is why when the Prophet ﷺ was giving da'wah to the different tribes of Arabia, asking them for asylum, from them was a tribe that lived close to that region, that liked Islam and approved of the message of the Prophet ﷺ. But they said, we cannot give you asylum because we live in between the Romans and the Persians. And the only reason they leave us alone is because we don't take one side or the other. We keep our heads down. But if we take you in and then the Quraysh come after you, the Romans and the Persians will think what's going on here and then they will begin to attack us. And so they constantly, those two empires, fight with one another. Allah Azza wa says that the Romans will be defeated. In the Muslim of Imam Ahmad and this narration that you have here, that the, the disbelievers of Mecca were delighted by the event. Ibn Abbas mentions in what is taken in the Muslim of Imam Ahmad 
that the Muslims used to like for the Romans to defeat the Persians and the Quraysh of Mecca liked that the Persians should defeat the Romans and that's because the Romans were people of the book they at least believed they were one of the Abrahamic faiths they believed in prophets and messengers and so they were closer to the Muslims whereas the Persians were idolaters and worshippers and polytheists and so the Mushrikeen liked that they should win so when this happened the Mushrikeen rejoiced of Quraysh they were happy that their allies or the people that they were supporting or the people that they wanted to win had overcome their enemies in this particular battle in the land nearby the land of the Romans which was closest to Persia was Al-Jazeera, Mesopotamia which was where the two armies met the war beginning with the Persian attack but after their defeat they will themselves be victorious over the Persians and that is a prophecy from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala a promise from Allah azza wa that just as the Romans have been defeated a time will soon come when they will win and that is a promise that Allah azza wa gives in the Quran as a show of his of the truthfulness of this message in a few years time the word used for few means a number between three and nine the two armies in fact fought again seven years after this first meeting and the Romans defeated Persia the affair is Allah's from beginning to end both before the defeat of the Romans and after it all of it is by the will of Allah on that day the believers will rejoice the day when the Romans are victorious will be one on which the believers will rejoice in Allah's help for them against the Persians the news of the Persian defeat reached them during the battle of Badr when Jibreel revealed it and it added to their joy in defeating the idolaters he grants victory to whomever he wills he is the almighty the most merciful to the believers in verse number 5 Allah says the believers will rejoice in Allah's help and the author Taala, says that that victory and the news of that, that victory came to the Muslims on the same day of the Battle of Badr. So as the Muslims were victorious, they had another good news and another promise of Allah being fulfilled. And that is that the Romans were also victorious in their battles. And this is the position of Abdullah ibn Abbas and Sufyan al-Thawri amongst others from amongst the scholars of Tafsir. And the other opinion amongst the scholars of Tafsir is that this victory takes place in the year of Hudaybiyyah at the Treaty of Hudaybiyyah and that is the position of Iqrimah and Qatada and Az-Zuhri alayhim rahmatullah amongst others from amongst the scholars of Tafsir but the majority of them say that it is the day of Badr the battle of Badr but I don't know of any authentic hadith of the Prophet وسلم, in which that is mentioned explicitly that Jibreel came and he gave him that news on the day of Badr and it is mentioned though as being the statement of Ibn Abbas and Allah knows best but it's not something which I found in an authentic hadith and Allah Azza wa knows best but that is the position of the vast majority of the scholars of tafsir and Allah knows best Wa'dallah <coughs> that is Allah's promise He promised them victory La Allah does not break His promise but most people, meaning the unbelievers of Mecca do not know it meaning Allah's promise of victory to the believers they know an outward aspect of the life of this world trade, agriculture, building, planting and other such things that they, the pronoun they, whom is repeated for emphasis are heedless of the next world 
أَوَنَمْ يَتَفَكَّرُوا فِي أَنفُسِهِمْ Have they not reflected within, within themselves and turned from their heedlessness? مَا خَلَقَ اللَّهُ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضَ وَمَا بَيْنَهُمَا إِلَّا بِالْحَقِّ وَأَجَلٍ مُسَمَّا Allah did not create the heavens and the earth and everything between them except with truth and for a fixed term. At the end of their term they will come to an end and after that the resurrection will take place. وَإِنَّ كَثِيرًا مِّنَ النَّاسِ بِلِقَاءِ رَبِّهِمْ لَكَافِرُونَ Yet many people, like the unbelievers of Mecca, reject the meeting with their Lord. They do not believe in the resurrection after death. In verse number 8, Allah Azzawajal says, أَوَلَمْ يَتَفَكَّرُوا فِي أَنفُسِهِمْ Have they not reflected within themselves? And this is of similar verses to it have come before in the Qur'an. And Allah Azzawajal often commands us to think within ourselves, to reflect about ourselves, to look and look and see, and see Allah's signs in his creation of us subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah says, مَا خَلَقَ اللَّهُ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضَ وَمَا بَيْنَهُمَا إِلَّا بِالْحَقِّ Allah did not create the heavens and the earth and everything between them except with the truth. Al-Haqq means the truth. Another from amongst the scholars of tafsir said, with reward and punishment. Al-Haqq means with reward and punishment, meaning that the good doers are rewarded and the evil doers are punished. And At-Tabri ta'ala said, with justice, truth, means justice that Allah created the heavens and the earth and everything in between them in a just manner. Have they not traveled in the earth and seen the final fate of those before them, nations previous to them who were destroyed for denying their messengers? They had greater strength than them, like Ad and Thamud, and cultivated the land using sophisticated agricultural techniques and inhabited it in far greater numbers than they, meaning the, unbel- the unbelievers of Mecca, do. Their messengers also came to them with the clear signs. Allah would never have wronged them by destroying them without any crime on their part. But they wrong themselves by denying their messengers. Then the final fate of those who did evil would be the worst, meaning Jahannam, hellfire. And what will be done to them there? Because they denied Allah's signs, meaning the Quran, and mocked at them. In verse number 10, is a very beautiful point of Arabic eloquence and that is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uses the same word to describe the evil that they committed to mention the, the punishment that they will receive meaning that it will be in the same vein those who, then the final fate of those who did evil will be an evil that is far worse so the word su and so come from the same root word those who do evil will receive an evil in return that is far worse for the meaning the fire of hell. Allahu yabda'u al-khalqa thumma yu'iduhu thumma ilayhi turja'un Allah originates creation, here meaning humankind. Then we'll regenerate it, meaning recreate them after their death. Then you will be returned to him. Read as turja'un and also yurja'un. They will be returned. وَيَوْمَ تَقُومُ السَّاعَةُ يُبَلِسُ الْمُجْرِمُونَ on the day the hour arrives, the evildoers will be in despair, lost for words, because all the excuses will prove baseless. In verse 12, Allah says, On the day that the hour arrives, the evildoers will be in despair. Yublis, the word yublis 
means either despair or the other meaning that it can also have as mentioned by Mujahid rahimahullah is to be exposed. So on the day of judgment they will be in despair and they will be exposed. وَلَمْ يَكُنْ لَهُمْ مِنْ شُرَكَائِهِمْ شُفَعَاءُ وَكَانُوا بِشُرَكَائِهِمْ كَافِرِينَ None of their partner gods, meaning those that are associated with Allah or their idols, will intercede for them. They will reject their partner gods and renounce them. وَيَوْمَ تَقُومُ السَّاعَةُ يَوْمَئِذٍ يَتَفَرَّقُونَ On the day the hour arrives, that day they will be split up, separated out into, the, into believers and unbelievers. فَأَمَّا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَعَمِنُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ فَهُمْ فِي رَوْضَةٍ يُحْبَرُونَ As for those who believe and did right actions, they will be made joyful in a verdant meadow, meaning in a garden. In verse 15, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says concerning the people who do righteous deeds and believe, have iman, فَهُمْ فِي رَوْضَةٍ يُحْبَرُونَ They will be in a garden. And rawda is a type of garden. Some of the scholars said that a rawda is a garden full of greenery and vegetation that is low. It isn't high ground, but it is low ground. And others said it is high ground. And so they say, both of them, that what, what they agree upon is that it is something that is, has much vegetation, much greenery, much plants within it and flowers. But they differ as to whether the rawda is a high ground or whether it is low ground. وَأَمَّا الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا وَكَذَّبُوا بِآيَاتِنَا وَلِقَاءِ الْآخِرَةِ فَأُولَٰئِكَ فِي الْعَذَابِ مُحْضَرُونَ But as for those who disbelieved and denied our signs, meaning the Qur'an, and the meeting of the next world, meaning the resurrection and other associated things, they will be summoned to punishment. فَسُبْحَانَ اللَّهِ حِينَ تُمْسُونَ وَحِينَ تُصْبِحُونَ So glory be to Allah. Meaning you should glorify him and pray to him. When you start the night, meaning when darkness falls, encompassing the prayers of Mahul ibn Isha, and when you greet the day with the Subh prayer. Praise be to him in the heavens and the earth. An interpolation, meaning that the people of the heavens and the earth praise him in the afternoon, meaning in the Asr prayer. And when you reach midday, meaning in the Luhr prayer. In verses 17 and 18, as you can see, the position of many of the scholars of tafsir, Ibn Abbas, عنهم, foremost amongst them, the position chosen by Imam al-Tabari and many others, is that these two verses refer to the five daily prayers. As we've mentioned before in other verses that we have come, of a similar nature. And that is that Allah Azzawajal is pointing to the different times of day and night to show the position or the, the timing of those five salahs of Fajr, Dhuhr, Asr, Maghrib and Isha. In verse 17 Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says فَسُبْحَانَ حِينَ تُمْسُونَ وَحِينَ تُصْبِحُونَ So glory be to Allah when you start the night and when you greet the day. And the word subha with the seen is uh, from subhanallah is also a meaning or one of the words or terms used to denote prayer. And you find this in the books of hadith that often they refer to especially voluntary prayers. They call it subha. And so when you find for example subhatul fajr, subhatul duha, subhat, they, what they mean is the two rak'ahs, the optional prayers of those times. And that is a common thing that you will find in the books of hadith. يُخْرِجُ الْحَيَّ مِنَ الْمَيِّتِ وَيُخْرِجُ الْمَيِّتَ مِنَ الْحَيِّ وَيُحْيِي الْأَرْضَ بَعْدَ مَوْتِهَا He brings forth the living from the dead, for example by creating man from sperm and birds from eggs, and brings forth the dead, meaning sperm and eggs, from the living, and brings the earth to life with plant life after it was dead and barren. وَكَذَانِكَ تُخْرَجُونَ In the same way, you too will be brought forth, but as تُخْرَجُونَ and تَخْرُجُونَ from the grave.
ومن آياته أن خلقكم من تراب ثم إذا أنتم بشر تنتشرون Among his signs showing his power is that he created you from dust referring to the fact that Adam originated from dust and here you are now widespread human beings consisting of flesh and bone and spread throughout the earth ومن آياته أن خلق لكم من أنفسكم أزواجا لتسكنوا إليها وجعل بينكم مودة ورحمة Among his signs is that he created spouses for you of your own kind Referring to the fact that Hawa came from the rib of Adam and all other people from the sperm of men and the ova of women So that you might find tranquility and affection in them And he has placed affection <coughs> and compassion between you إِنَّ فِي ذَلِكَ لَآيَاتٍ لِقَوْمٍ يَتَفَكَّرُونَ There are certainly signs in that for people who reflect on them. وَمِنْ آيَاتِهِ خَلْقُ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ وَاخْتِلَافُ أَلْسِنَتِكُمْ وَأَلْوَانِكُمْ Among his signs is the creation of the heavens and earth and the variety of your languages, Arabic, Persian and all other languages, and colors, white, black and other colors. And there is also the variety of skin shades in different children of the same man and woman. إِنَّ فِي ذَلِكَ لَآيَاتٍ لِلْعَالِمِينَ There are certainly signs of the power of Allah in that for every being, read as عَالَمِينَ and also عَالِمِينَ meaning all who know. In verse number 22 at the end, إِنَّ فِي ذَلِكَ لَآيَاتٍ لِلْعَالِمِينَ is our recitation, for the recitation that is used by the authors is the one with the fatha, alameen. And alameen means for the world, for every creation besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And alameen means for those people of knowledge. And so uh, the, the author, rahimahullah ta'ala, when he's referring to this verse, uses the qira'ah of the fatha, alameen, which means for everything besides Allah, and both of them are mutawatir qira'at. وَمِنْ آيَاتِهِ مَنَامُكُمْ بِاللَّيْلِ وَالنَّهَارِ وَابْتِغَاءُكُمْ مِنْ فَضْلِهِ Among his signs are your sleep by night, because he wills rest for you, and day and seek and your seeking after his bounty, meaning your livelihood by his will. إِنَّ فِي ذَلِكَ لَآيَاتٍ لِقَوْمٍ يَسْمَعُونَ There are certainly signs in that for people who hear, reflect and understand. وَمِنْ آيَاتِهِ يُرِيكُمُ الْبَرْقَ خَوْفًا وَطَمَعًا وَيُنَزِّلُ مِنَ السَّمَاءِ مَاءً فَيُحْيِي بِهِ الْأَرْضَ بَعْدَ مَوْتِهَا Among his signs is that he shows you lightning, a source of fear for those exposed to it by travel and eager hope for those safe at home because of the rain that comes with it and sends down water from the sky bringing the dead earth back to life by it making plants grow إِنَّ فِي ذَلِكَ لَآيَاتٍ لِقَوْمٍ يَعْقِلُونَ There are certainly signs in that for people who use their intellect and reflect. وَمِنْ آيَاتِهِ أَنْ تَقُومَ السَّمَاءُ وَالْأَرْضُ بِأَمْرِهِ Among his signs is that heaven and earth hold firm without visible support by his command, meaning will. ثُمَّ إِذَا دَعَاكُمْ دَعْوَةً مِّنَ الْأَرْضِ إِذَا أَنْتُمْ تَخْرُجُونَ Then when he calls you forth from the earth, meaning when Israfil blows a trumpet for the resurrection, you will emerge at once from your graves, alive. People's emergence at the summons is one of the signs of Allah. Everyone in the heavens and earth belongs to him, as his property, creation and slaves. All are submissive to him and obey him. It is he who originated the creation of mankind and then regenerates it after its destruction. 
that is very easy for him. Bringing them back is easier than originating them since it is easier to repeat something than to do it for the first time. They are both equally easy for Allah. وَلَهُ الْمَثَلُ الْأَعْلَى فِي السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ His is the most exalted designation in the heavens and the earth. A reference to the formula, there is no God but Allah. وَهُوَ الْعَزِيزُ الْحَكِيمُ He is the Almighty in His kingdom, the All-Wise in His creation. In, in this verse, verse number 27, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَهُوَ الَّذِي يَبْدَأُ الْخَلْقَ ثُمَّ يُعِيدُهُ وَهُوَ أَهْوَنُ عَلَيْهُ It is He who originated creation and then regenerates it and that is easier for Him. And that meaning is mentioned in the hadith in Al-Bukhari of Abu Hurairah radiallahu anhu, the Prophet said sallallahu alayhi wasallam that Allah says, indeed the child of Adam has uh, called me a liar and that is not for him to do so. And he has cursed me and it is not for him to do so. As for his calling me a liar, it is his statement that he, I will not create him or resurrect him after I have created him. And to bring him back to life is no harder for me than to create him the first time. And as for his cursing me, it is his claim that I took a child. And Allah says, I am Al-Ahad, Al-Samad, Al-Ladhi Lam Yalid Wa Lam Yulad, Wa Lam Yakul Lahu Kufu Al-Ahad. And the hadith is in Al-Bukhari. Uh, and then Allah Azza wa Jal says, وَلَهُ الْمَثَلُ لَعَلَى فِي السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ And to him, in the translation, the most exalted designation. And the meaning of Al-Mathalu La'ala is to him belongs the noblest and best of all examples. Meaning, as Imam Al-Tabari rahimahullah ta'ala said, it is similar to the verse, There is nothing similar to Allah Azza wa So when we give examples to help people to understand comparing certain things that are from the powers and abilities of Allah with certain examples at a human level that we can understand, we do it by understanding that it is simply by way of example. There is no similarity between Allah's actions and the actions of His creation or Allah's attributes and the attributes of His creation. And therefore a better translation is, that, is, that to Allah belongs the best and noblest of all examples, meaning that he is far removed from being likened to his creation, as the Imam al-Tabari rahimahullah ta'ala said. He has made an example for you of the idolaters from among yourselves. Are any of the slaves you own partners with you in what we have provided for you in terms of property and other things, so that you and they are equal in respect of it, you fearing them the same as one another, making them your equals as free men? The question implies a negative response. They are not equal partners with you. So how can you make some of Allah's property partners with Him? In that way, we make our signs clear for people who use their intellect and reflect. In this verse, number 28, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala of Surah Al-Rum, Allah azza wa jal gives this parable. And that is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that for you, you will never allow some of your property to become equal partners with you in your businesses, take a share of your profits in terms of slaves. So if you own a number of slaves, those slaves are your property. Do you say to those slaves, come and be partners with me, take a share of my profits? And that is because Allah to him, we are all slaves. Any similar example is if we were to say now, would a, an employer say to his employees, become partners with me? They work for him. And then, they, and then he says to them, take a share of my profits, we take 50-50. And that's not something which we accept for what is our property, for what belongs to us, for what is our wealth and the profits that we make. So then how can we say that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to whom everything else besides him is his property, 
that they should have an equal share or some share in his creation and in his right to be worshipped subhanahu wa ta'ala Yet those who do wrong by committing shirk pursue their whims and desires without any knowledge. Who can guide those whom Allah has led astray? Meaning they have no guide. They will have no helpers. No one will be able to defend them against the punishment of Allah. So Muhammad وسلم, set your face firmly towards the deen as a pure natural believer. Meaning make your deen sincere for Allah alone, both you and those who follow you. Allah's natural pattern on which he made mankind. His deen, so hold fast to it. There is no changing Allah's creation. The deen of Allah cannot be altered by attributing partners to him. That is a true deen, the affirmation of Allah's unity. But most people, including the unbelievers in Mecca, do not know it. In verse number 30, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, فَأَقِمْ وَجْهَكَ لِلدِّينِ حَنِيفًا So set your face firmly towards the deen, as a pure natural believer, as someone who doesn't associate partners with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The meaning of set your face firmly towards the deen is, as Al-Mahalli rahimahullah mentions in his commentary, to have ikhlas in your worship of Allah Azza wa Jalla, to sincerely worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone, making the, the religion purely and sincerely for him subhanahu wa ta'ala. The word fitra means the natural inclination that Allah has placed within our hearts. That is the meaning of Allah's natural pattern. Or, as Imam Al-Tabri said, it is the way that Allah has created people. Meaning that Allah created mankind to worship Him alone. And that is the deep feeling that Allah placed in the hearts of humankind. That they should worship Him. As the Prophet said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, كُلُّ مَوْلُودٍ يُولَدُ عَلَى الْفِطْرَةِ Every child is born upon the fitrah. That fitrah is when, as we mentioned in Surah Araf, Allah Azza wa extracted from the loins of Adam all of his progeny. And he made them testify to his oneness, subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is that same deep feeling that we mentioned yesterday, that when Pharaoh is debating with Musa salam, and he wants to build a tower to speak to Allah, he looks upwards and he acknowledges that Allah is above him. That is the fitrah that Allah has placed within the hearts of each and every single person. And that's why Allah says, لا تبديل لخلق الله There is no change to what Allah Azza wa has created. Turning towards him in obedience to what he commands and forbids. Be fearful of him and establish the prayer. Do not be among the idolaters. Those who split up, read as farraqu and also farraqu, in which case the meaning is that they abandon the deen which they are commanded to adhere to. Their deen and form into sex based on their disagreement about what to worship. Each faction exalting and rejoicing in what they have. In verse number 32, again there is a typo in terms of the different readings of the word farraqu and farraqu with a fatha. And I'm not going to stop at each and every single one of these places, but when it's read correctly by Ismail or when I, when I read it correctly, then you should make those changes in the transliteration because otherwise it is incorrect that reading as it is as it appears fariqo is not a is not the reading of the Quran. And it is important, especially when it comes to the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that we're extremely precise in the way that we 
with the Quran. وَإِذَا مَسَّ النَّاسَ ضُرٌّ دَعَوْا رَبَّهُمْ مُنِيبِينَ إِلَيْهِ When harm or hardship touches people, they call unto their Lord, turning in repentance to him rather than to others. ثُمَّ إِذَا أَذَاقَهُمْ مِنْهُ رَحْمَةً إِذَا فَرِيقٌ مِنْهُمْ بِرَبِّهِمْ يُشْرِكُونَ But then, when he gives them a taste of mercy, such as abundant rainfall from him, a group of them immediately associate others with their Lord. لِيَكْفُرُوا بِمَا آتَيْنَاهُمْ Showing ingratitude for what we have given them. فَتَمَتَّعُوا فَسَوْفَ تَعْلَمُونَ Enjoy yourselves. You will soon know the end of your enjoyment. This is meant as a threat. This, this verse brings a change of person from third to second person plural. أَمْ أَنزَلْنَا عَلَيْهِمْ سُلْطَانًا فَهُوَ يَتَكَلَّمُ بِمَا كَانُوا بِهِ يُشْرِكُونَ Or have we sent down some authority? The word for authority, sultan, may mean either evidence or an actual book to them, which advocates associating others with him. This implies a negative response. The scripture command them to associate with him, it certainly does not. In verse 32, Allah Azza wa says, uh, sorry, in verse 34, Enjoy yourselves, you will soon know. And the author, Allah says that the verse brings a change of person from the third person to the second person. Allah says, Let them enjoy themselves, you will soon know. And one of the explanations of that from a linguistic eloquence point of view is that their enjoyment takes place in the dunya when they're heedless of Allah and they're negligent of Allah and they're distracted by the dunya. But you will come to know when? When you stand before Allah. And Allah holds you to account. And so now they're facing Allah Azza wa Jal. So the third person absent plural is in the dunya when they're distracted and heedless. And the second or the first person plural when they're being spoken to is when they are in front of Allah Azza wa Jal and Allah is holding them to account. And that is from the eloquence and the beauty of the Quran that Allah Azza wa Jal often changes between those different contexts. وَإِذَا أَذَقْنَا النَّاسَ رَحْمَةً فَرِحُوا بِهَا when we give people, including unbelievers in Mecca and others, a taste of mercy, meaning blessing, they rejoice in it exultantly. But when something bad, such as a time of hardship, happens to them because of what they themselves have done, they immediately lose all hope of mercy. The believer should be thankful for blessings and always hope for good from his Lord in times of hardship. أَوَلَمْ يَرَوْا أَنَّ اللَّهَ يَبْسُطُ الرِّزْقَ لِمَنْ يَشَاءُ وَيَقْدِرُ Did they not see and know that Allah expands provision for whoever He wills as a test and also restricts it as He wills as a test? إِنَّ فِي ذَلِكَ لَآيَاتٍ لِقَوْمٍ يُؤْمِنُونَ There are certainly signs in that for people who believe. فَآتِ ذَا الْقُرْبَى حَقَّهُ وَالْمِسْكِينَ وَبْنَ السَّبِيلِ Give relatives their due in terms of kindness and sadaqah, and the poor and travelers their sadaqah due to them. The community of the Prophet followed him in that. That is best for those who seek the pleasure of Allah, meaning Allah's reward for what they do. They are the ones who are successful. In verse 38, Allah says, Give relatives their due. And some of the scholars of tafsir, they said that this is a verse that has been abrogated because that type of zakah is no longer given to relatives or a portion of inheritance is no longer given to relatives. But the correct opinion is, and Allah knows best, is that the verse is not abrogated, but it is applicable and it is applied as Allah says. And that is that the, our relatives who are poor have a right upon us 
they have a right upon us that we help them. Whether it's from zakah, if they are not dependents of ours, meaning that we don't have to provide for them anyway because they're not our children, it's not our wife, it's not our parents, and they depend upon us to provide for them. They have a right in our zakah that we begin with them and that we give to them before we give it to others. As the Prophet وسلم, said to Abu Talha radiallahu and other companions, that the best people that you can begin your sadaqah with and your zakah are those who are your relatives that are poor and needy and are legitimate recipients of zakah that you begin with them. And if not, then just to give them sadaqah anyway and to help them and to do good towards them is from the best of deeds. وَمَا آتَيْتُمْ مِنْ رِبًا لِيَغْبُوَ فِي أَمْوَالِ النَّاسِ فَلَا يَغْبُوَ عِنْدَ اللَّهِ What you give with usurious intent, aiming to get back a greater amount from people's wealth, when you give a gift in order to get something more in return for it, it is designated as usury, because of the desired increase in the transaction, and it does not become greater with Allah. The givers receive no reward. وَمَا آتَيْتُمْ مِنْ زَكَاةٍ تُنِيدُونَ وَجْهَ اللَّهِ فَأُولَٰئِكَ هُمُ الْمُضْعِفُونَ But anything you give as zakat, sadaqah, seeking the face of Allah, all who do that will get back twice as much, a double reward. There is a change in person at the end of the ayah from second person to third person plural. In verse number 13, Allah Azza wa Jalla says, وَمَا آتَيْتُمْ مِنْ رِبًا لِيَرْبُوَ فِي أَمْوَالِ النَّاسِ فَلَا يَرْبُوَ عِنْدَ اللَّهِ What you give with the intent of getting usury, getting back more than what you gave, is from people's wealth, is does not become greater with Allah. There are two different tafsirs concerning what this refers to. Number one is that it is referring to riba, as we understand the interest in wealth, in money, that when you borrow someone 10 pounds, you expect from them back 15 pounds. And that is a type of riba. It is usury. When you borrow someone, someone comes to you and says, I need a thousand pounds, you say, okay. But when you pay me back in a year's time, I want twelve hundred pounds. That is riba. That is how the banking system operates in many of our countries. And so, that is something which Allah Azza wa Jalla has made haram. And some of the scholars said that is what is being referred to. But Al-Mahalli rahimahullah ta'ala has chosen the other tafsir, which is the tafsir of Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhumah. And it's the one supported by Ibn Kathir and others. The first one, there's riba as normal interest in riba, is chosen by a group of scholars from the Muhammad al-Amin al-Shaqiti, rahimahullah ta'ala. The second one is the opinion of Ibn Abbas and Ibn Kathir, and the author has chosen it. And that is that it doesn't refer to riba as we understand it. Because riba as we understand it in money becomes haram in the Medinan period later on, even though this is a uh, Medinan surah. Allah subhanahu uh, sorry, but this is a Meccan surah, not a Medinan surah. And so that's something which comes about later on. So they say what it refers to is the exchanging of gifts. That you only give a gift because you want a better gift in return. That is how they understood this verse. And that is also a, an acceptable and a good tafsir of this verse. People who give gifts with the intention that they will get a gift back. That is not only the same, but it is better. And that is often how many of our gifts and exchanges work. I will give you a gift and the understanding that you're going to give me a gift back. And if you want to give me a gift back, then I would be upset. I give you a gift when you, for example, someone in your family has a newborn child. When someone gets married, with the understanding, and sometimes in families this is recorded and remembered and noted, what you're going to receive when it's your turn. And if it's not received, the next time they're not going to get a gift. Next time they will be included. And that is also in an understanding of this verse, as I said, that a great number of the scholars of tafsir took from this verse. And Allah knows best. Allah الذي خلقكم ثم رزقكم ثم يميتكم ثم يحييكم 
Allah is He who created you, then provides for you, then will cause you to die, and then bring you back to life. Can any of your partner gods, those you associate with Allah, do any of that? Subhanahu wa ta'ala amma yushrikun. Glory be to him and he is exalted above anything they associate with him. Zahara al-fasadu fil barri wal bahri bima kasabat aydi al-nasi liyudhiqahum ba'dha al-ladhi amilu la'allahum yarji'oon. Corruption has appeared in both land, wastelands have appeared through lack of rain and plants, and sea, rivers have dried up, because of what people's own hands have brought about by the disobedience to Allah, so that they may taste, read as, yudhiqahum, and also nudhiqahum, we may make them taste, the negative results of something of what they have done, so that perhaps they will turn back and repent. In verse 41, Allah Azza wa Jal says, ظهر الفساد في البر والبحر بما كسبت أيدي الناس Corruption has appeared, in both land and upon sea. And the scholars have different meanings as to what that corruption is. But generally they all go back to the same thing and that is a lack of blessing and an increase in evil. That is what corruption is referring to. And that's why the author Ta'ala says, wastelands, lack of rain, lack of food, lack of vegetation, a decrease of blessing and an increase of what is harmful. Because of what your hands have brought about. What have your hands brought about? Some of the scholars said, it is sinning in general. Sins in general, disobedience to Allah Azza wa And others said, it is major sins, such as stealing and killing, theft and murder, and those types of major sins which cause major corruption. Because minor sins are often limited to a person and just between them and maybe another individual, it is something very small. But when killing becomes rampant, murder, stealing, lying, cheating, that kind of stuff becomes... Uh, rampant in a society or a community it is not just the individual that suffers but all of society suffers if not even in the direct action of killing and murder and stealing even in a secondary way and that is that people have suspicion of one another and they don't trust one another and they're very on edge concerning other people who come close to them because of how rampant that issue becomes another scholar said it refers to a shirk the, what you earn with your own hands refers to a shirk. Another said it refers to having evil leaders, evil people in position. And all of them come back to the same thing. All of them come back to the same thing. They are examples of the same thing. And that is that when we do wrong, disobey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, sin in any form, then Allah azza wa jal tests people and increases the punishments that He places upon them within their daily lives. قُلْ سِيرُوا فِي الْأَرْضِ فَانْظُرُوا كَيْفَ كَانَ عَاقِبَةُ الَّذِينَ مِنْ قَبْلٍ Say to the unbelievers of Mecca, travel about the earth and see the final fate of those before. كَانَ أَكْثَرُهُمْ مُشْرِكِينَ Most of them were idolaters. So they were destroyed for their shirk and their houses and dwelling places are deserted. فَأَقِمْ وَجَهَكَ لِلدِّينِ الْقَيِّمِ مِنْ قَبْلِ أَنْ يَأْتِيَ يَوْمُ اللَّهَ so set your face firmly towards the true deen, Islam, before a day, meaning the day of rising, comes from Allah which cannot be turned back. On that day, they will be split off, separated after their reckoning, going either to the garden or the fire. Those who disbelieved will find that their unbelief was against themselves. The evil effects of their unbelief will come back on them. وَمَنْ عَمِلَ صَالِحًا فَلِأَنفُسِهِمْ يَمْهَدُونَ Those who did right were making the way towards their place in the garden easy for themselves. 
لِيَجْزِي الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَعْمِلُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ مِنْ فَضْلِهِ So that he, may, he might repay with his bounty those who believed and did right actions. إِنَّهُ لَا يُحِبُّ الْكَافِرِينَ He certainly does not love the unbelievers. The believers will be rewarded and the unbelievers punished. وَمِنْ آيَاتِهِ أَنْ يُغْسِلَ الْرِيَاحَ مُبَشِّرَاتٍ among his signs is that he sends the winds bearing good news of rain to give you a taste of his mercy, rain and fertility. And to make the ships run by his command, meaning will. And to enable you to seek his bounty, provision gained by trading across the seas, so that perhaps you may be thankful for these blessings and affirm Allah's unity. وَلَقَدْ أَرْسَلْنَا مِنْ قَبْلِكَ رُسُولًا إِلَىٰ قَوْمِهِمْ فَجَاءُوهُمْ بِالْبَيِّنَاتِ فَانْتَقَمْنَا مِنَ الَّذِينَ أَجْرَمُوا Before you we sent other messengers to their people, and they too brought them the clear signs, clear evidence of their truthfulness in respect of their message to them, but they denied them. Then Allah destroyed those who denied. We took revenge on those who did evil. وَكَانَ حَقًّا عَلَيْنَا نَصْرُ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ and it is our duty to help the believers against the unbelievers by destroying them and rescuing the believers. In verse 47 of Surah Al-Rum, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, فَانْتَقَمْنَا مِنَ الَّذِينَ أَجْرَمُوا وَكَانَ حَقًّا عَلَيْنَا نَصْرُ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ We took revenge on those who did evil. It is our duty to help the believers. And this is a nice example of something that we uh, mentioned a couple of times before. And that is the science of Al-Waqf wal-Ibtida. The science in Quran and recitation of when to start and when to stop in your reading. And we gave a couple of examples of this before from them. It was the verse in the Ma'istajibu Ladina Yasma'un. In this verse, verse 47, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Fantaqamna mina ladina ajramu. And there are two ways that you can stop. Number one, Fantaqamna mina ladina ajramu wa kana haqqa. Alina nasrul mu'minin. Allah says, We took revenge on those believers who did evil, and that is certain. It is the truth. And then you stop. And we will help the believers. Or the other one is the one that is commonly recited. And we seek revenge on those who did evil. And it is our duty, it is the truth that we will help the believers. And both of those are good meanings because it is from the rights, it is from the what Allah has made a duty upon Himself to seek or to take revenge from those who do evil, and it is from the duties that Allah has placed upon Himself, that He will help the believers. It is Allah who sends the winds which stir up clouds and make them move, which He spreads about the sky however He wills, in greater or smaller quantity. He forms them into dark clumps, read as kisafan and kisfan, and you see the rain come pouring out from the middle of them. When he makes it fall on those of his slaves he wills, they rejoice in the rain. Even though before he sent it down on them, they were in despair of rain coming. Look at the 
So look at the effects read as athari and also in the singular form. Athari. Of the mercy of Allah in bringing rain. How he brings the dead earth back to life after it was dry and arid. Truly, he is the one who brings the dead to life. He has power over all things. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in these verses, verses 48 and 49 and 50, there is a hadith in which the Prophet said that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala smiles at the despair of his slaves and how quickly their affairs change. And that's what this is referring to. That a person, when there's no rain, when there's no rain, they are despondent. And then when that rain comes, they rejoice. And then when that rain stops for a great period of time, they are despondent again. And so a person continuously changes, even though they know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who controls rain. And likewise, when a person is in hardship, they are having a difficult time. And then ease comes and they have happiness. And then hardship comes and their situation constantly changes. And so their mood changes with it. And so Allah Azza wa Jal is amazed by that. Despite us knowing that it is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who controls all of those affairs and that we should place our trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَلَئِنْ أَرْسَلْنَا رِحًا فَرَأَوْهُمْ صَرًّا لَظَلُّوا مِنْ بَعْدِهِ يَكْفُرُونَ But if we send a wind which harms the plants and they see it, meaning the plant life turning yellow, still they persist after that, yellowing and disbelieving, remaining ungrateful for Allah's blessing of rain. فَإِنَّكَ لَا تُسْمِعُ الْمَوْتَ وَلَا تُسْمِعُ الصُّمَّ الدُّعَاءَ إِذَا وَلَّوْ مُدْبِرِينَ You will not make dead men hear. You will not make deaf men hear the call when they turn their backs in flight. وَمَا أَنْتَ بِهَادِ الْعُمِّ عَنْ ضَلَالَتِهِمْ You will not guide blind men away from their misguidance. إِن تُسْمِعُ إِلَّا مَنْ يُؤْمِنُ بِآيَاتِنَا فَهُمْ مُسْلِمُونَ you will not make anyone here understand that except except for those who believe in our signs, meaning the Quran, and so are Muslims affirming Allah's unity. Allah الذي خلقكم من ضعف ثم جعل من بعد ضعف قوة ثم جعل من بعد قوة ضعف وشيبة. It is Allah who created you from a weak beginning, base liquid. Then after weakness, read as ضعف and ضعف. A reference to childhood gave you strength. A reference to adulthood. Then after strength ordained weakness. Read as ضعف and ضعف. A reference to old age and grey hair. <coughs> he creates whatever he wills in respect of weakness and strength. Youth and old age. <coughs> he is all-knowing of how to manage his creation. More powerful in doing whatever he wishes. In verse 54, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Allahu الذي خلقكم من ضعف it is Allah who created you from a weak beginning. And the author Ta'ala mentions the two different qira'at. One is da'af with a fatha and one is du'af with a dhamma. The majority of the scholars of tafsir are of the opinion that they mean one and the same thing. Da'af and du'af both refer to weakness. They are just simply two different ways of pronouncing the same word. And others from amongst the scholars of tafsir said that there is a difference between them. And that is that one of them refers to physical weakness and the other one refers to mental weakness. And that is that when a person gets to old age, there are certain people who are physically weak, but mentally they're fine. They, in terms of their mental faculties and their ability to process information and remember and recall and understand, they are fine. And other people are the opposite. Physically they're fine. They look exactly as they should. They're fit and they're healthy. But in terms of their mental abilities, 
because of some disease, because of Alzheimer's or because of some type of dementia, they are no longer able to function the way that they are. And so some of the scholars differentiated between the two and Allah knows best. But as I said, the majority said that it is one and the same and both of them refer to weakness. وَيَوْمَ تَقُومُ السَّاعَةُ يُقُسِمُ الْمُجْرِمُونَ مَا لَبِثُوا غَيْرَ سَاعَةٍ On the day, the last hour arrives, the evildoers, meaning unbelievers, will swear that they have not even tarried for an hour in the grave. Allah says, كَذَلِكَ كَانُوا يُؤْفَكُونَ That is the extent to which they are deceived. They fail to grasp the, tr- the truth of resurrection in the same way that they fail to grasp the truth about the length of time they remain in the grave. وَقَالَ الَّذِينَ أُوتُوا الْعِلْمَ وَالْإِيمَانَ لَقَدْ لَبِثْتُمْ فِي كِتَابِ اللَّهِ إِلَى يَوْمِ الْبَعْثِ Those referring to the angels and others who have been given knowledge and belief will say You tarried in accordance with Allah's decree until the day of rising, which you denied. فَهَذَا يَوْمُ الْبَعْثِ وَلَكِنَّكُمْ كُنْتُمْ لَا تَعْلَمُونَ And this is the day of rising, but you did not know it. In verse number 55, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَيَوْمَ تَقُومُ السَّاعَةِ يُقْسِمُ الْمُجْرِمُونَ مَا لَبِثُوا غَيْرَ سَاعَةِ On the day that the hour arrives, the evil Jews will swear that they have not even tarried for an hour. Meaning that they didn't even remain either in the grave or upon the face of the earth in this life for even an hour. And as we said before, the word sa'a is one of those words in Arabic language that has changed in terms of its meaning from classical Arabic to modern day Arabic. Like the word walad, unlike the word arum, unlike the word at-turk, and others that we've mentioned as by way of example. Sa'a in classical Arabic doesn't refer to an hour as in 60 minutes, a period of time that is 60 minutes in the way that we consider an hour to be. Because the Arabs didn't have yet the concept of time in the way that we understand it. Clocks and timepieces had yet to be invented. And so it's not something which they were familiar with. So when we translate it, it's an okay translation. But we have to remember that when they say, when Allah says that they will say, we only stayed for an hour, it means a short period of time. A short period of time. Sa'a. كَذَلِكَ كَانُوا يُؤْفَكُونَ وَقَالَ الَّذِينَ أُوتُوا الْعِلْمَ وَالْإِيمَانِ But the people of knowledge, the people of Iman in, in, uh, in verse number 56, they are the ones who will say you remained upon earth the amount of time that Allah willed for you to remain. Whether it is longer or shorter, it is what Allah had decreed for each and every single one of you that you would remain so long as it was decreed for you to remain and then Allah would bring death to you. On that day, the excuses of those who did wrong, their reasons for denying it, will not help them. Read as, yanfa'u and tanfa'u. Nor will they be able to appease Allah. They will not be able to find anything with which to placate Allah. وَلَقَدْ ضَرَبْنَا لِلنَّاسِ فِي هَذَا الْقُرْآنِ مِنْ كُلِّ مَثَلٍ We have made all kinds of examples for people in this Qur'an. وَلَئِنْ جِئْتَهُمْ بِآيَةٍ لَيَقُولَنَّ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا إِنْ أَنْتُمْ إِلَّا مُبْطِلُونَ if you, Muhammad وسلم, bring them a sign, such as the staff and hand which Musa was given, those who disbelieve will say, you and your companions are just purveyors of falsehood. In that way, meaning the way their hearts are oblivious, Allah seals up the hearts of those who do not know about his oneness. So be steadfast. Allah's promise to help you against them is true. وَلَا يَسْتَخِفَّنَّكَ الَّذِينَ لَا يُوقِنُونَ Do not let those who have no certainty about the resurrection unsettle you. Do not let them move you to levity and cause you to abandon steadfastness. 
Surah Luqman. This surah is Meccan except for ayat 27, 28, and 29, which are Medinan. It has 34 ayat and was sent down after Surah Al-Safat. So we come to the 31st surah of the Quran, and that is the surah that is called Luqman. Named after this man that we will speak about shortly that Allah Azza wa will mention concerning his story, named Luqman. And he is one of the few exceptions in the Quran. Anyway, we will come on to that inshallah ta'ala in a short while. It is a Makki surah in the opinion of the majority of the scholars of tafsir, as Ibn Kathir rahimahullah and others mention. And the exception of those verses is mentioned by some of the scholars of tafsir, such as Qatada, and some of them, it is said that Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhumah said that they are Madani verses as well. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alif Allah knows best what is meant by this. Those ayat are the signs of the wise book, meaning the Quran. Guidance and mercy, read as rahmatan and rahmatun, for the good doers. Those who establish prayer and pay zakat and are certain of the next world. Such people are following guidance from their Lord. They are the ones who are successful. But there are some people who trade in distracting tales, which divert others from what really should concern them. To misguide people from Allah's way, read as Yudillah and Yadullah, the path of Islam, knowing nothing about it and to make a mockery of it, read as Yattakhidaha and Yattakhiduha. Such people will have a humiliating punishment. In verse number 6, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَمِنَ النَّاسِ مَنْ يَشْتَرِي لَهُ الْحَدِيثِ there are some people who trade in distracting tales. Lahwal hadith is anything which is vain speech. Anything which is vain and false speech. And the scholars of tafsir have two methodologies in the tafsir of this verse. Those who are more specific and those who are more general. Those who are more specific such as in Imam Al-Qurtubi rahimahullah ta'ala say that it refers to anything that you purchase that is vain, vain speech. Because Allah says those who trade in, meaning they buy, they pay for it, they buy it, they purchase it, and it is vain speech. And those scholars will say, for example, like music. They will literally pay for music or for lyrics or for something like that, which will distract them from the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And it will misguide them and it will misguide others. And other scholars such as Imam al-Tabari rahimahullah ta'ala went for a more general approach and understanding. And that is that it is any speech in any way that prevents from the path of Allah azza wa jalla. Anything that prevents from the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is included in this, ver- in this verse, whether it's purchased in that way or not purchased in that way. When our signs, meaning the Quran, are recited to such a person, he turns away arrogantly, as if he had not heard, as if there were a great weight in his ears, as if he were deaf. 
So give him news of a painful punishment and threaten him with it. This refers to another Ibn al-Harith. He used to go to Hira to trade and he bought books of the history of the Persians and recounted them to the people of Mecca. He said, Muhammad وسلم, recounts to you the tales of Ad and Thamud and I tell you the tales of Persia and the Romans. So they enjoyed his stories and stopped listening to the Quran. In verse number 7, the author Ta'ala, gives this cause of revelation that is mentioned by some of the books of, in the books of Tafsir. Another Ibn al-Harith who was one of the noblemen of Quraysh that disbelieved in the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. He used to go to Hira, not Hira, which is the cave in Mecca. Hira is an area in Syria, in in modern day Syria or in Asham generally. And he would go and he would purchase the uh, the tales as we and we mentioned this I think this story before. He would go and he would purchase tales and story books from there. Then he would come and he would read them out loud, and he would say to the people, "Who's a better storyteller?" Me or Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, which one of us is more entertaining? <laughs> For those who believe and do right actions, they are gardens of delight. To remain in them timelessly forever once they enter them. Allah's promise of that is true. He is the Almighty so that nothing can overcome him to prevent him carrying out his promise and threat. The All-Wise who only ever puts anything in its right place. It is Allah who created the heavens with no support. You can see them without any supporting pillars. And cast firmly embedded high mountains on the earth, so that it will not move under you, and scattered about it in creatures of every kind. And we send down water from the sky and make every generous, beautiful species grow in it. The ayah contains a change of person from third person singular to first person plural. In verse number 10, Allah says, It is Allah who created the heavens with no support you can see. And we mentioned this, I think, before in Surah Al-Ra'ad and other places in the Quran, that the scholars have two approaches as to the meaning of this verse. Number one is that the heavens has been created without any pillars, as you can see. There's no pillars supporting them. And the other tafsir is that Allah created them with pillars, but you cannot see them. Allah created the heavens with pillars that support it, but they are invisible to you. This is Allah's creation. Show me, meaning tell me, people of Mecca, then what those gods besides, besides him have created. The wrongdoers, meaning unbelievers, are clearly misguided because of their shirk, and you, people of Mecca, are among them. We gave Luqman wisdom, which includes knowledge, piety, correctness in speech, and many of his wise sayings have been transmitted. He used to give judgment, fatwa, before Dawood was sent and lived until the time he was sent, whereupon he learned from him and stopped giving judgment. He said about that, should I not be content when I have been given enough? He was asked, which person is the worst? He said, the one who does not care if people think that he is an evildoer. We said to him, Give thanks to Allah for the wisdom He has given you. Whoever gives thanks only does so for his own good because of the reward he receives for doing so. 
ومن كفر فإن الله غني حميد. Whoever is ungrateful for blessings received, Allah is rich beyond need of His creation, praiseworthy in what He does. In verse number 12, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala now mentions the story of Luqman. وَلَقَدْ آتَيْنَا لُقْمَانَ الْحِكْمَةِ And we gave to Luqman wisdom. And that is why Luqman is often referred to as Luqman al-Hakim. Luqman the wise. And the scholars differ as to who Luqman was. And some of the scholars said that he was a prophet of Allah. And that is the position that is reported on Iqlima. As being the position of Iqlima, rahimahullah ta'ala, who was one of the students of Ibn Abbas, radiallahu anhuma. But the vast majority of the scholars of Tafsir are of the position that he was a righteous slave of Allah and not a prophet of Allah, but a righteous and knowledgeable slave of Allah, a person who Allah gave him knowledge and he was righteous and he was good, but he wasn't a prophet of Allah. And that is the position of the majority of the scholars of Tafsir and the one chosen by Al-Qabdi and Al-Qurtubi and Ibn Kathir, alayhim rahmatullah, amongst many others. And the narrations of Luqman are many in the books of Tafsir, in terms of not just uh, his background, but also in terms of, um, in terms of his, his statements and what is attributed to him because of his wisdom, his wise sayings. And the author, Ta'ala, gave a couple of examples of that. And there are many in number, but very few of them are from a hadith of the Prophet and many of them are from other traditions. And the scholars have a very lengthy and long discussion as to who was Luqman in terms of his background. Was he Arab? Was he not Arab? Because Luqman doesn't seem to be a name that is Arabic. Some of them said he was from what is modern day Sudan and that region of the world and others different. There is a great deal of discussion over that. And also in terms of the period of time that he came in, like you see here, some of them said towards the time of Dawood Others said that he came in the time of Ayyub and again there is a great deal of discussion and then they have a discussion as to how long he lived for and some of them said that he lived for nearly a thousand years or thereabouts and again a great deal of discussion the point of all of that is though that we have no authentic hadith of the Prophet concerning any of that and as often is the case with these stories those details are not essential to the point that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants us to take from it and there is the wisdom that Luqman imparts upon his son and his child when he speaks to him and gives him these amazing pieces of advice. And Luqman, therefore, if you take the position that he's not a prophet of Allah, is one of the few non-prophets of Allah that Allah names in the Qur'an. Because usually when Allah takes people's names, they are the names of prophets of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Qur'an. Or people who are connected to them. And the exceptions to that are few. From them is Maryam, and from them is Imran, the family of Imran, and from them is Luqman, and Allah knows best. وَإِذْ قَالَ لُقْمَانُ لِبْنِهِ وَهُوَ يَعِبُهُ يَا بُنِيَّ لَا تُشْرِكْ بِاللَّهِ Remember when Luqman said to his son, counseling him, my son, using the diminutive form of son, to show affection, do not associate anything with Allah. إِنَّ الشِّرْكَ لَظُلْمٌ عَظِيمٌ Associating others with him is a terrible wrong. So return to Allah and submit to him. And in verse 13, this is the first and the greatest of his advices to his son. And that is, the advice that Allah has repeated throughout the Qur'an. That the first thing that he said to his son and the greatest advice that he gave to him is not to make shirk with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we mentioned something similar in the story of Yaqub salam in Surah Baqarah. When he gathered his children at the time of his death, إِذْ قَالَ لِبَنِيهِ مَا تَعْبُدُونَ مِنْ بَعْدِي and he said to them and asked them, who will you worship after I die? And that is the greatest thing that a 
parent, a Muslim parent can impart upon their children and leave them with. And it is from the best of inheritance that they can give to them. And this is the verse that we mentioned before in the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, in the tafsir of the verse in Surah Al-An'am, الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَلَمْ يَلْبِسُوا إِيمَانَهُمْ بِظُلْمٍ أُولَٰئِكَ لَهُمُ الْأَمْنُ وَهُمْ مُهْتَدُونَ Those who have iman and don't mix their iman with oppression, with wrongdoing, they will be the ones who will have safety and they will be the guided. And the companions and the messenger of Allah, which one of us doesn't mix our iman with wrongness, with wrong deeds, with oppression. The Prophet said, that's not the meaning of oppression here. But the meaning is, as Luqman said to his son, in the shirk Indeed, shirk is the worst of all wrong and oppression. We have instructed man concerning his parents, meaning commanded him to be good to his parents. Bearing him caused his mother great debility during her pregnancy in her labor and also when she delivered him, and the period of his weaning was two years. We said to him, Give thanks to me and to your parents. I am your final destination. In verse 14, Allah says, in, in regards to parents, And the word wahan, she bore him upon weakness, upon weakness. That is the literal translation. Because as a mother goes through the stages of pregnancy, and it goes further and further along, she becomes weaker and weaker. And the burden of that pregnancy and the toll that it takes upon her becomes greater. وَإِن جَاهَدَاكَ عَلَىٰ أَن تُشْرِكَ بِمَا لَيْسَ لَكَ بِهِ عِلْمٌ فَلَا تُطِعْهُمَا But if they try to make you associate something with me about which you have no knowledge, do not obey them. وَصَاحِبْهُمَا فِي الدُّنْيَا مَعْرُوفًا Keep company with them correctly through obedience and maintaining ties with gifts. And courteously in this world. وَاتَّبِعْ سَبِيلَ مَنْ أَنَابَ إِلَيْهِ But follow the way of him who turns to me in obedience. Then you will return to me and I will inform you about the things you did and repay you for them. This is an interjection. These, uh, in, in verses 14 and 15, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions again the rights of the parents. But if those parents command you to do something evil or wrong or commit shirk, then there is no obedience to them. And we mentioned yesterday in a similar verse towards the beginning of Surah Al-Ankabut, the story of Sa'd ibn Abi Waqas that his mother took an oath that because he accepted Islam she would eat, she wouldn't drink and she wouldn't seek shade she would stand outside in the sun and then she said to her son Sa'd, doesn't your religion command you to obey your parents I am commanding you to leave your religion so Allah sent down the exception to that rule and that is that if they command you to make shirk or do what is haram or evil there is no obedience to them. But you should continue to be courteous and, and good towards them and fulfill their rights and your duties as a child towards them. These verses, verses 14 and 15, as the author Ta'ala, says at the end, is an interjection. Meaning what? Meaning that they are not from the statements of Luqman to his son. But rather, verses that Allah Azza wa brings in the midst of the speech of Luqman towards his son. So these are not from Luqman's statements, they are from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaking concerning these issues and the rights of parents. And again, as we see in the Quran, in numerous places in Surah Al-Isra and elsewhere, that Allah Azza wa often combines between the rights of Allah Azza wa in terms of his oneness of worship and the rights that the parents have upon us because of how great those rights are. 
يا بني إنها إن تكون مثقال حبة من خردل فتكون في صخرة أو في السماوات أو في الأرض يأتي بها الله My son, even if something, meaning an evil deed, weighs as little as a mustard seed and is inside a rock or anywhere else in the heavens or earth, or somewhere even more hidden, Allah will bring it out and reckon it. Allah is all-pervading so that he is able to bring it out, all aware so that he knows where it is. And this is from the greatest knowledge on the greatest tarbiyah that a parent can give to their child. The knowledge that Allah always sees and knows them and hears what they do. And often when we speak to our children, we tell them that if they don't do something, we're going to be upset, someone else is going to be upset. Or you know, if they're really young, a monster will come and get them, wherever it may be. But Allah is giving us a better lesson here and that is to teach within them and cultivate within them from a very young age that even if they do wrong, Allah knows. If they trick us, they can't trick Allah. If they hide from us, they can't hide from Allah. If they lie to us, they can't lie to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is what he is saying to his son. And that is from the greatest tarbiyah. And when you find that within a person, they have that internal internal moral compass that they know then that Allah is constantly watching them and is vigilant over them. And that is why Umar radiallahu anh, in the in the story of the wedding or the marriage of his son Asim, when he came across that woman and his and her daughter, who the mother said to her daughter, mix the milk with the water so we can sell it for more. And the daughter said, the Amir al-Mu'minin Umar radiallahu anh, the leader of the Muslims, forbade us from doing so. So the mother replied, and where is Umar? He doesn't know. So she replied, even if Umar doesn't know, his Lord knows. And Umar radiallahu anh, based on that, he asked or he proposed for one of his sons to marry her. Because that is Iman, and that is the taqwa of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Ya Bunayya aqimi salata wa amur bil ma'roofi wanha anil munkar wasbir ala ma asabak. My son, establish the prayer and command what is right and forbid what is wrong and be steadfast in the face of all that happens to you on account of commanding the right and forbidding the wrong. That, what has been mentioned, is certainly the most resolute course to follow and that in which resolve is necessary. In verse 17, he gives, continues with his advice. Establish the prayer and then command the good and forbid the evil because commanding the good and forbidding the evil within it is included everything else that Allah wants us to do from the obligations and the duties and staying away from the haram. And so it is a comprehensive statement. And then he says to him, indeed, that is from the most resolute of courses to follow. But also, as Al-Mahalli says, it requires resolve. So it is the best of things to do, but to do it requires also a great deal of patience and resolve. Do not avert, read as, tusa'id and tusa'id, your face from people out of haughtiness, and do not strut about arrogantly on the earth. Allah does not love anyone who is vain and arrogant and gait or boastful with people. Be moderate in your tread, not walking either too quickly or too slowly, and being tranquil and dignified, and lower your voice. The most hateful of voices is the donkey's brain. And these are amazing pieces of advice in terms of things that we've mentioned before 
of not walking around with arrogance and haughtiness and thinking that you have accomplished everything but to have humbleness before Allah and humility before others and to lower your voice meaning that you don't brag about yourself and you don't boast and you're not someone who is arrogant in the way that they speak but you speak in a way that is dignified and a way that is respectful and it is courteous and if you have nothing good to say then you say nothing as the Prophet told us sallallahu alayhi wa sallam man kana yu'minu billahi wal yawmil akhir falyakul khayran aw yasmut Whosoever believes in Allah in the last day, let them speak good or let them remain quiet. Alam taru anna Allah sakhara lakum ma fi s-samawati wa ma fi al-ardi wa asbara alaykum ni'amahu ghahiratan wa baatina. Do you not see and know you who are addressed that Allah has subjected to you everything in the heavens, meaning the sun, the moon and the stars, which are there for your benefit, and earth, along with the fruits, rivers and animals it contains and has showered his ample blessings upon you, both outwardly, in the excellence of your form, the symmetry of your limbs, and other such things, and inwardly, in your ability to recognize, and other such things. وَمِنَ النَّاسِ مَنْ يُجَادِلُ فِي اللَّهِ بِغَيْرِ عِلْمٍ وَلَا وَلَا كِتَابٍ Yet, there are people, such as the people of Mecca, who argue about Allah without knowledge or guidance from any messenger, or any illuminating book which Allah has revealed. They simply imitate. وَإِذَا قِيلَ لَهُمُ اتَّبِعُوا مَا أَنزَلَ اللَّهُ قَالُوا بَلْ نَتَّبِعُ مَا وَجَدْنَا عَلَيْهِ آبَاءَنَا When they are told, follow what Allah has sent down, they say, No, we will follow what we found our fathers doing. Allah says, أَوَلَوْ كَانَ الشَّيْطَانُ يَدْعُوهُمْ إِلَىٰ عَذَابِ السَّعِيرِ What would they follow him, even if shaytan is calling them, to what will make the punishment of the blazing fire mandatory for them? وَمَنْ يُسْلِمْ وَجْهَهُ إِلَى اللَّهِ وَهُوَ مُحْسِنٌ فَقَدْ اسْتَمْسَكَ بِالْعُرْوَةِ الْمُثْقَى Those who submit themselves completely to Allah and agree to obey Allah and do good while affirming Allah's unity have grasped the firmest handhold which will never give away. وَإِلَى اللَّهِ عَاقِبَةُ الْأُمُورِ The end result of all affairs is with Allah and goes back to Him. وَمَنْ كَثَرَ فَلَا يَحْزُنْكَ كُفْرُهُ and do not let the unbelief of those who disbelieve sadden you, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and do not be worried about it. They will return to us and we will inform them about the things they did. Allah knows what the heart contains and will certainly repay them. نُمَتِّعُهُمْ قَلِيلًا ثُمَّ نَضْطَرُّهُمْ إِلَىٰ عَذَابٍ غَلِيلٍ We will let them enjoy themselves a little during their life in this world and then in the next world drive them to a harsh punishment of the fire from which there is no escape. وَلَئِنْ سَأَلْتَهُمْ مَنْ خَلَقَ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضَ لَيَقُولُنَّ اللَّهِ If you ask them who created the heavens and the earth, they would say Allah. قُلِ الْحَمْدُ لِلَّهِ Say, praise be to Allah for making the evidence of Tawheed manifest to them. But most of them do not know that it is obligatory for them to obey Him. Everything in the heavens and earth belongs to Allah as His property, creation and slaves. Only He is entitled to be worshipped in the heavens and earth. Allah is the rich beyond need of His slaves, the praiseworthy in what He does. وَلَوْ أَنَّمَا فِي الْأَرْضِ مِنْ شَجَرَةٍ أَقْلَامٌ وَالْبَحْرُ يَمُدُّهُ مِنْ بَعْدِهِ سَبَعَةُ أَبْحُرٍ مَّا نَفِدَتْ كَلِمَاتُ اللَّهِ 
If all the trees on earth were pens and all the sea with seven more seas besides were ink, Allah's words still would not dry it because what He knows is infinite. Allah is almighty so that nothing can withstand his power or wise and nothing is beyond his knowledge and wisdom in verse 27 of surah luqman allah azzawajal says and if the trees on earth were to be pens and all the seas with seven more seas besides them meaning and as we said seventh and often mean in arabic language a great deal a great number a vast quantity not literally seven but even if they were more than seven and they were a countless number, then Allah's words will still not run dry. And this is similar to the penultimate verse of Surah Al-Kahf, which Allah says, And that is to show that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's words are not exhaustive. They don't run out. They continue and they continue and they continue. And therefore, what Allah has chosen to reveal in this book, the Quran, is of utmost importance. Because Allah could have continued and carried on forever and ever. And so when Allah chose words to place in the Qur'an, it is because each and every single one of those words is of extreme importance. And they are words which we can seek guidance from. Your creation and rising is only like that of a single self. He merely says, be and it happens. Allah is all hearing, all seeing, and nothing distracts him from anything. In verse 28, Your creation and rising is only like that of a single self, meaning that Allah doesn't have to do it individually to each of the billions of people that have come. It is a single command for Allah. That is how easy it is. And then all of them die, and then all of them are resurrected. Do you not see, meaning know that Allah makes night merge into day and day merge into night, each of them increases as the other decreases, and that He has made the sun and moon subservient in their orbits, each one running for a specified time up until the day of rising? And that Allah is aware of what you do. That which has been mentioned is because Allah, He is the firm truth. And what they call upon, read as Yad'una, and also Tad'una, what you call upon and worship besides Him is vanishing falsehood. Allah is the all high with power of his creation the most great in verse 30 Allah is the all high with power of his creation that is ta'wil there is a misinterpretation of that name of Allah because Al-Ali doesn't mean to have power that is a secondary meaning of Al-Ali the primary meaning is that Allah is above his creation subhanahu wa ta'ala in a manner which befits his majesty as we've mentioned a number of times and so often you will find that those people who misinterpret those names of Allah often say that his rising means his power. And that is a secondary meaning of the name of Allah Azza wa Jal, Al-Adi. Do you not see that ships sail on the sea by Allah's blessing so that he may show you something of his signs? There are certainly signs and lessons in that for everyone who is steadfast in not disobeying Allah and thankful for His blessing. When 
When the waves hang over them, meaning unbelievers, like canopies, mountains under which they are shaded, they call on Allah, making their deen sincerely His, making sincere supplication to Him to save them and not calling on anything else besides Him with Him. But then, when he delivers them safely to the land, some of them are ambivalent, hesitating between unbelief and belief, some remaining unbelievers. None but a treacherous, thankless man, meaning ungrateful for Allah's blessings, denies our signs, which include saving people from death by drowning. يَا أَيُّهَا النَّاسُ اتَّقُوا رَبَّكُمْ وَاخْشَوْا يَوْمًا لَا يَجْزِي وَالِدٌ عَنْ وَلَدِهِ وَلَا مَوْلُودٌ هُوَ جَازٍ عَنْ وَالِدِهِ شَيْئًا Mankind, including the people of Mecca, be fearful of your Lord and fear a day when no father will be able to atone for his son or help his son in any way or son for his father in any way. إِنَّ وَعْدَ اللَّهِ حَقَّى Allah's promise of the resurrection is true. فَلَا تَغُرَّنَّكُمُ الْحَيَاةُ الدُّنْيَا وَلَا يَغُرَّنَّكُمْ بِاللَّهِ الْغَرُورِ So do not let the life of this world delude you about Islam and do not let the deluder, meaning shaytan, delude you concerning Allah by the fact that Allah has granted him a deferral. In verse 33 Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says وَخْشَوْ يَوْمًا لَا يَجْزِي وَالِدٌ عَنْ وَلَدِهِ وَلَا مَوْلُودٌ هُوَ جَازٍ عَنْ وَالِدِهِ شَيْئًا be fearful of your Lord and fear a day when no father will come to the aid of his child. No, any child will come to the aid of their parent. And this is in contrast to what we mentioned yesterday and what will come further on in Surah At-Tur. The difference between the believers and the disbelievers. For the believers Allah says, Those who believe and their children follow them in guidance and iman, Allah will reunite them, meaning that they will benefit from one another on Yawm Al-Qiyamah. Allah raises the station of one to meet the station of the other in Jannah. He raises them so they benefit as long as they have that basis of iman. Whereas Allah Azzawajal for the disbelievers says that they don't benefit one from another. And that is similar to what we mentioned about friendship as well. Friendship on that day will not benefit anyone unless that friendship is based upon taqwa. Because then they benefit from the way that they mutually advised one another, encouraged one another, helped one another. <laughs> Truly Allah has knowledge of the hour and when it will come. And sends down abundant rain, read as Yunazilu and Yunzilu, at a certain time which he knows. And knows what is in the womb, whether male or female. وَمَا تَدْرِي نَفْسٌ مَّاذَا تَكْسِبُ غَدًا And no self knows what good or evil it will earn tomorrow. Only Allah knows these three things. وَمَا تَدْرِي نَفْسٌ بِأَيِّ أَرْضٍ تَمُوتٍ And no self knows in what land it will die, whereas Allah does. إِنَّ اللَّهَ عَلِيمٌ خَبِيرٌ Allah is all-knowing, all-aware of the inward as well as the outward, of everything. Al-Bukhari related the hadith from Ibn Umar. The keys of the unseen are given, which are with Allah. The knowledge of the final hour to the end of the hadith. In verse 34, this is the hadith that we've already mentioned before, known as the Mafatih al <coughs> These five things are from the knowledge of the unseen, and the hadith is in Al-Bukhari. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in this verse, وَيَعْلَمُ مَا فِي الْأَرْحَامِ And knows what is in the womb. And the author ta'ala, says, whether male or female. And that is a common tafsir, but it is only part of the tafsir. And that's because sometimes today people have that um, reservation or they have, uh, maybe they say that, for example, now we can find out whether the child is male or female. 
And as the scholars say, there is only part of the tafsir. But also what Allah knows that is in the womb that no one knows is whether that child will grow up to be a believer or disbeliever, whether they will be from the wretched or the happy, whether they will be from the people of the Jannah or from the people of the fire. And that's why Shaykh Al-Thaymin Rahimahullah says that Allah says, وَيَعْلَمُوا مَا فِي الْأَرْحَامِ And He doesn't say, وَيَعْلَمُوا مَنْ فِي الْأَرْحَامِ Allah doesn't say He knows who is in the womb. He says He knows what is in the womb. Because everyone knows, even the Arabs knew before Islam, before modern technology and science and before Islam, that the child will either be male or female, at the very least. So Allah never says who is in the womb, Allah says what. Meaning that it's not just referring to the gender of the child, it is referring to whether they will be from the happy or the wretched, from the people of the fire or the people of Jannah. And Allah knows best. Surah Al-Sajda, prostration. This surah is Meccan except for ayat 16 to the end of 20, which are Medinan. It has 30 ayat and was sent down after Surah Al-Mu'min. In uh, the 32nd surah of the Qur'an is Surah Al-Sajda, literally referring to the prostration or meaning the prostration. And it is a Makki surah as many of the scholars said and the exception that is mentioned by Al-Mahadi rahimahullah is mentioned by some of the scholars of Tafsir. And this is the surah that the Prophet Wasallam would often recite on the morning of a Friday for the Fajr prayer. As is mentioned in the hadith of Abu Hurairah radiallahu anhu in Sahih al-Bukhari. And this surah is known by a number of names in the books of tafsir and books of hadith. From them is sajda and from them, as Ibn al-Jawzi mentioned, surah al-madajir. Because Allah will speak about the madajir. The madajir are your beds, your mattresses. Tatajafa junubuhum anil madajir. That is one of the names that this surah is also known by. And from the names of the surah that it is known by is alif la mim sajda. And Alif Lamin Tanzil. And often in the books of Hadith, and in a number of narrations, when the companions refer to this surah, they will refer to it in one of those two ways Alif Lamin Sajda, Alif Lamin Tanzil. And then the Alif Lamin was taken off, and the Sajda, just the name as Sajda, became well known. And that's why even in some of the early books of Tafsir, even like Ibn Kathir, who's relatively like 700 odd years ago, but even earlier than him, and him as well, they sometimes refer to the surah as Alif Lamin Sajda or Alif Lamin Tanzil. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim Alif Lamin. Allah knows best what is meant by this. Tanzilul Kitabila Raiba Fihimir Rabbil Alameen. The revelation of the book, meaning the Qur'an, without any doubt of it, is from the Lord of the worlds. أَمْ يَقُولُونَ افْتَرَاهُ What do they say? He, meaning Muhammad, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, has invented it. بَلْ هُوَ الْحَقُّ مِنْ رَبِّكَ لِتُنْذِرَ قَوْمًا مَا أَتَاهُمْ مِنْ نَذِيرٍ مِنْ قَبْلِكَ لَعَلَّهُمْ يَهْتَدُونَ No, indeed, it is the truth from your Lord to warn by it. A people to whom, before you, no warner came, so that perhaps they will be guided by your warning. الله الذي خلق السماوات والأرض وما بينهما في ستة أيام. Allah is He who created the heavens and the earth and everything between them in six days. The first was Sunday and the last was Friday. ثم استوى على العرش and then established himself firmly upon the throne. The word throne linguistically refers to the seat of a king and for this reason is appropriate for Allah. ما لكم من دونه من ولي ولا شفيع. You, meaning unbelievers of Mecca, have no protector or intercessor to protect you from his punishment apart from him. 
أَفَلَا تَتَذَكَّرُونَ So you not pay heed to this and believe? In verse number 4 Allah says ثُمَّ اسْتَوَى عَلَى الْعَرْشِ And then established himself firmly upon the throne Meaning he rose and ascended above the throne In a manner which befits his majesty subhanahu wa ta'ala As we mentioned a number of times before Al-Mahali then says The word throne linguistically refers to the seat of a king And what he says in the Arabic What he's referring to And he mentions this a number of times concerning this verse He says that the word arsh means kursi. The word arsh means kursi. That is the meaning of the word seat. And he equates the two. And that is one position that some scholars have, but it's not the correct position. And the correct position in the belief of Ahlul Sunnah wal Jama'ah is that there are two different things. The kursi and the arsh are two different things. The kursi, as is mentioned in the text of the Quran and the Sunnah, is the footstool of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the arsh is the throne of Allah azza wa jalla. And so that tafsir is not the correct tafsir <coughs> that Ahlul Sunnah is upon, that the word throne linguistically refers to the seat of the king. The word kursi, the seat, because kursi in modern day Arabic means chair or a place that you sit on. The word kursi in relation to Allah Azza wa Jal refers to his footstool, as is mentioned in Ayat al Kursi, and the word throne, Arsh, is throne. He directs the whole affair from heaven to earth for the period this world endures. Then it, meaning the command and management, will again ascend to him on a day whose length is a thousand years by the way you measure in this world. And another surah mentions 50,000 years. That means the day of rising which seems that long, owing to the intensity of its terror, terrors for the unbelievers, for the believer, however, it will seem lighter than a prescribed prayer which he prayed in this world, as is related in a hadith. And we already covered this in one of the questions that I asked concerning that verse in Surah Ma'arij. And these verses, some of them say a thousand, some of them say fifty thousand years. That creator and manager is the knower of the unseen and the visible, what is hidden from creatures and what is present and can be seen. The Almighty who is unapproachable in his kingdom, the most merciful to the people who obey him. He who has created all things, read as khalaq and khalq in the best possible way. He commenced the creation of man, meaning Adam, from clay. Then produced his seed, meaning progeny from an extract of base fluid, a weak drop of sperm. Then formed him, meaning Adam, and breathed his ruh into him, gave him life and feeling after being an inanimate form. And gave you, meaning his descendants, hearing, sight, and hearts. What little thanks you show. They, meaning those who deny the resurrection, say, When we have been absorbed into the earth, meaning turned to dust and mixed with the dust of the earth, are we then to be in a new creation? Allah says, in fact, they reject the meeting with their Lord at the resurrection. Say to them, the angel of death who has been given charge of you will take you back, meaning taking your spirits, 
and then you will be sent back to your Lord alive so that he may repay you for your actions. In verse number 11, Allah Azza wa says, قُلْ يَتَوَفَّاكُمْ مَلَكُ الْمَوْتِ The angel of death who has been given charge of you will take your soul. He will bring you death. And this is today's question. But sometimes in the Quran, as we can see in this verse, verse 11 of Surah Al-Sajda, Allah refers to death coming from the angel of death. قُلْ يَتَوَفَّاكُمْ مَلَكُ الْمَوْتِ and elsewhere in the Quran, in a number of surahs that we've mentioned, Surah Al-Nahl and Surah Al-Nisa, Allah says that it is the angels in the plural, not the angel of death, but the angels that bring you death. In the the angels are the one who brings death, bring death. And then elsewhere in the Quran, Allah Azza wa Jal says that it is Himself, He Himself, who brings death. Allah Yatawafa So how do we understand these verses? Sometimes Allah says it is him, sometimes Allah says it is the angel of death, sometimes Allah says it is the angels in the plural form. If only you could see the evildoers, meaning the idolaters, hanging their heads in shame before their Lord. They will say, our Lord, we have seen the reality of the resurrection we denied, and we have heard the truth in the words of the messengers which we denied before. So send us back again to the world, and we will act rightly there. Truly, we now have certainty that plea will not benefit them, and they will not be returned. Allah says, Had we so willed, we could have given guidance to everyone, to obedience and faith. But now my words are shown to be true, that I shall fill up hell entirely with jinn and human beings, and tell the guardians of the fire to admit them into it. So taste it, meaning the punishment, because you forgot the meeting on this day and abandoned belief in it. We have forgotten you and will abandon you in the punishment. Taste the punishment of eternal timelessness for what you did in terms of unbelief and denial. The people who truly do believe in our science, meaning the Qur'an, are those who fall to the ground, prostrating when they are reminded and warned of them and glorify their Lord with praise, saying, Glory be to Allah and by His praise, and are not too arrogant to believe and obey. <coughs> their sides eschew their beds, rising from where they sleep to perform tahajjud night prayers. As they call on their Lord in fear of Allah's punishment and ardent hope of His mercy, and they give sadaqah from what we have provided for them. In verse number 16, Allah Azza wa says, تَتَجَافَ جُنُوبُهُمْ عَنِ الْمَضَاجِرِ And we said that Ibn Jawzi said that one of the names of this surah is Madajir. And Madajir is the place that you lie down, that you rest, that you sleep, your mattress, your bed. That these are people, Allah Azzawajal says, that they abandon their beds and that they forsake them for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the scholars have a number of positions as to what it's referring to and what that forsaking of beds refers to. Some of them said that it refers to the nafal prayers between Maghrib and Isha. And some of them said 
that it refers to the Isha prayer, that they would stay up late to pray Isha rather than going to bed early. And that is because the Prophet ﷺ would often delay the Isha prayer. And he wouldn't pray Isha as soon as he came in, but he would delay it as much as he could. Unless he saw that the companions were eager and they had gathered. He preferred to delay the Isha prayer. And that is mentioned in the hadith of Anas radiallahu anhu. That he says that the Prophet would delay the Isha prayer so much so that I would see the companions as they're waiting in the masjid for salah napping. That they would, uh, as if they're not napping, but as if they're dozing off and then waking up and dozing off and waking up because they're waiting for the Prophet to come out and he hasn't come out. Meaning, showing you the length of time and how late in the night that it is going into. And once the Prophet came out to them and he said that you. Allah is happy with you or Allah gives you glad tidings that there is no one upon the face of the earth that is awake this hour worshipping Allah other than you and so long as you stay in the masjid waiting for the salah it is as if you are in the salah and so the Prophet would delay it so Anas says that they were waiting for the salatul atam and the salat al-isha some of the scholars said that's what it refers to that they forsake their beds and their comfort because they're waiting for the isha prayer and then the other one is, as the author Taala mentions, and the one that is a common position amongst the scholars of Islam, and that is that it's referring to that the Hajjud prayer, the night prayer, that they forsake their beds and their comfort, waking up in the middle of the night to worship their Lord. And that is also mentioned in the hadith of Mu'ad radiallahu anhu, that is in Al-Tirmidhi, that the, he came to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa Mu'ad ibn Jabal radiallahu anhu, and he said, O Messenger of Allah, Tell me one thing that if I do it, I will enter into Jannah. And the Prophet said, لَقَدْ سَأَلْتَ عَنْ عَظِيمٌ You've asked something which is, which is very great. It is a major thing that you've asked for. وَلَكِنَّهُ يَسِيرٌ عَلَى مَنْ يَسَّرَهُ اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ But it is easy for those whom Allah makes it easy for. Worship Allah alone and don't make shirk with Him. Establish the prayer, give the zakah, fast Ramadan and make hajj. That is what you need to do to enter into Jannah. And then he said to him, shall I not tell you the doors of goodness, the gates of goodness? He said, yes, O Messenger of Allah. He said to him, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, fasting prevents you from doing evil. And giving sadaqah, charity, expiates your sins. And praying the night is from the best of deeds. And then the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam recited this verse, tajafa junubuhum. And because of the hadith, many of the scholars chose the position that the Prophet ﷺ is making tafsir of this verse by showing that it is the night period. And some of the scholars like Al-Imam Al-Tabari rahimahullah ta'ala combine between those opinions and he said that it can refer to the Isha prayer and it can refer to Qiyamul Layl, meaning that it refers to anyone who gives up the comfort of their bed and instead that they go and they worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala praying to Allah Azza wa Jal and Allah knows best. فلا تعلم نفس ما أخفي لهم من قرة أعين جزاء بما كانوا يعملون. No self knows the delight for the eyes that is hidden away, read as أخفيا and أخفي for it in recompense for what it used to do. And so Allah Azza wa Jalla in verse 17 is saying that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala has given for these people a reward that is hidden for the mean that they cannot imagine or know. And Al Hasan Al Basri rahimahullah Taala has a beautiful saying. About this verse, he says that just as the people who pray at night and wake up hide their good deeds and their worship from the eyes of others, so Allah has hidden their reward from the eyes of others. So they would have a reward that only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows. 
أَفَمَنْ كَانَ مُؤْمِنًا كَمَنْ كَانَ فَاسِقًا Is someone who believes like someone who is a deviator? لَا يَسْتَوُونَ They, meaning the believers and deviants, are not the same. أَمَّا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَعَمِلُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ فَلَهُمْ جَنَّاتُ الْمَأْوَى نُزُلًا بِمَا كَانُوا يَعْمَلُونَ As for those who believe and do right actions, they will have the gardens of safe refuge as hospitality for what they used to do. وَأَمَّا الَّذِينَ فَسَقُوا فَمَأْوَاهُمُ النَّارُ But as for those who are deviators through unbelief and denial, their refuge is the fire. كُلَّمَا أَرَادُوا أَنْ يَخْرُجُوا مِنْهَا أُعِيدُوا فِيهَا وَقِيلَ لَهُمْ دُوقُوا عَذَابَ النَّارِ الَّذِي كُنْتُمْ بِهِ تُكَذِّبُونَ Every time that they want to get out, they are put straight back into it again and they are told, taste the punishment of the fire, which you denied. وَلَنُذِيقَنَّهُمْ مِنَ الْعَذَابِ الْأَدْنَى دُونَ الْعَذَابِ الْأَكْبَرِ لَعَلَّهُمْ يَرْجِعُونَ We will give them a taste of lesser punishment in this world by killing, capture, drought for years and illnesses before the greater punishment in the next world so that hopefully they will turn back to belief. In verse 21 Allah Azza wa says وَلَنُذِيقَنَّهُمْ مِنَ الْعَذَابِ الْأَدْنَى دُونَ الْعَذَابِ الْأَكْبَرِ We will give them a taste of a lesser punishment before the greater punishment. And the scholars of Tafsir agree that the greater punishment is the punishment of the next life, which is the punishment of the Akhirah. But they differ over the meaning of the, pun- the punishment that is the lesser punishment, the first one. Some of them, as Al-Mahadi ta'ala does here, chose that it is the punishment of the dunya, that Allah punishes people by drought, by famine, by other types of calamities and illnesses and so on and so forth. That's one position. Another position, as mentioned by Abdullah ibn Abbas, Radiallahu anhuma is that it refers to the punishment of the grave, the adab al qabr. And Ibn Abbas used to use this verse, Radiallahu anhuma, to prove the existence of the punishment of the grave. And it is possible that it refers to both. And Allah knows best. Who could do greater wrong than someone who is reminded of the signs of his Lord, meaning the Quran, and then turns away from them? Meaning, no one does greater harm. We will take revenge on the evildoers, meaning the idolaters. We gave Musa the book, meaning the Torah. Be in no doubt about the meeting with him. A reference to when the Prophet ﷺ met Musa during the night journey. And made it, or him, a reference to either the book or Musa, a guidance for the tribe of Israel. That is one tafsir. We gave Musa the book, the Torah. Be in no, so be in no doubt about the meeting with him, that the meeting with him refers to Musa salam. And others said that it refers to Allah's meeting. That be in no doubt with the meeting with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah knows best. وَجَعَلْنَا مِنْهُمْ أَئِمَّةً يَهْدُونَ بِأَمْرِنَا لَمَّا صَبَرُوا We appointed leaders from among them, guiding people by our command when they were steadfast in their deen and in the face of affliction from their enemy. وَكَانُوا بِآيَاتِنَا يُوقِنُونَ And when they had certainty about our signs. Is that from before or read it? Lama? Yeah. Things which indicate Allah's power and unity. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in verse number 24 he says <coughs> in verse 24 وَجَعَلْنَا مِنْهُمْ أَئِمَّةٍ يَهْدُونَ بِأَمْرِنَا لَمَّا صَبَرُوا We appointed leaders from amongst them guiding people by a command when they were steadfast 
And the author says there are two readings, Lamma, which is the common reading, and the other one which is Mutawatir, the reading of Hamza and Al-Kisai, Lima Sabaru. Lamma means when they were steadfast. Lima means because they were steadfast. So Allah Azza wa Jalla says we guided them by our command when they were steadfast. Meaning when they were steadfast, they were guided. And Allah Azza wa Jalla says in the other qira'ah, Lima Sabaru, because they were steadfast, Allah Azza wa Jalla guided them. إن ربك هو يفصل بينهم يوم القيامة فيما كانوا فيه يختلفون. On the day of rising, your Lord will decide between them regarding everything about which they differed in terms in matters of the deen. أولم يهدي لهم كم أهلكنا من قبلهم من القرون يمشون في مساكنهم. Are they not guided by the many generations we destroyed before them? A reminder to the unbelievers of Mecca that Allah had destroyed many previous peoples on account of their unbelief. Among whose ruined homes they walk around on their journeys to Syria and other places. There are certainly signs of our power in that. So will they, will they not listen, reflect, and be warned? Do they not see how we drive water to barren land with no vegetation growing in it and bring forth crops by it which their livestock and they themselves both eat? So will they not see this and so understand that we have the power to bring them back to life again? They say to the believers, when will this victory of yours over us come if you are telling the truth? In verse 28 Allah Azza wa Jal says, وَيَقُولُونَ مَتَى هَذَا الْفَتْحُ in kuntum sadiqeen, they say to the believers, when will this victory of yours come? The word fath means conquest or victory. But what is being referred to here is where the scholars differ. Some of them said that it refers to the day of judgment. Tell us when this day of yours, meaning the day of judgment will come, if you are truthful. They're demanding to see yom al-qiyamah. And others said that it refers to the day of badr, meaning show us the day that you will be victorious over us. You're claiming that you will come have power over us. So show us that day meaning there is referring to them being defeated in battle, which will come later on in the day of Badr. And others, such as Imam al-Tabari, ta'ala, said, that it refers to punishment in general. Show us when that victory comes, meaning, show us when this punishment that you claim that we will have will come upon us. And others, such as Sheikh Muhammad al-Amin, ta'ala, said, that it refers to rule. Show us when you will have rule and dominion over us. قُلْ يَوْمَ الْفَتْحِ لَا يَنْفَعُ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا إِيمَانُهُمْ وَلَا هُمْ يُنْظَرُونَ Say, on the day of victory, when the punishment descends on them, the belief of those who disbelieved will be of no use to them. They will be granted no reprieve. They will not then be able to repent or offer any excuse. فَأَعْرِضُ عَنْهُمْ وَانْتَظِرُ So turn from them and wait for the punishment to befall them. They too are waiting for you to die or be killed so that they may be relieved of you. This was before the command came to fight them. And this in verse 30 is the opinion of Al-Mahalli rahimahullah ta'ala that the verse is abrogated. He says, this was before the command came to fight them. And the majority of the scholars are of the opinion that it is not abrogated as Imam Al-Qurtubi rahimahullah amongst others mentioned. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allows for people to wait and for people to turn away and for people not to fight and so on. Surah Al-Ahzab, the Confederates. This surah is Medinan, it has 73 ayat and was sent down after Al-Imran. So we come to the 33rd surah of the Qur'an, 
and that is Suratul Ahzab, which means the Confederates, referring to the Confederate armies. And as we mentioned before, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Quran mentions a number of battles in the Quran and the lessons that can be derived from them, from the life of the Prophet. So we mentioned the Battle of Uhud, which is mentioned in Surah Ali Imran. We mentioned the Battle of Badr, which is mentioned in Surah Al Anfal. We mentioned the battles of Tabuk and Hunayn, which are mentioned in Surah Al Tawbah. And in this Surah, we have the Battle of of Ahzab. And in Surah Al Fath, we will have the Treaty of Hudaybiyyah. And so these are the major, if you like, the major battles that took place in the time of the Prophet وسلم, and Allah Azza will refer to them. And the conquest of Mecca is also mentioned in Surah Al-Fatih and elsewhere in the Quran. And so this is a Madani Surah therefore by Ijma' of the scholars of Tafsir as Al-Qurtubi mentions because it speaks about the Ahzab and the Ahzab takes place in the fifth year of the Hijrah of the Prophet وسلم. بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم يا أيها النبي اتق الله ولا تطع الكافرين والمنافقين Oh Prophet وسلم, continue to be fearful of Allah and do not obey the unbelievers and hypocrites regarding anything which differs from your sharia إن الله كان عليما حكيما Allah is all knowing of what, we, what will be before it exists all wise with respect to what he creates Follow what has been revealed to you from your Lord, meaning the Quran. Allah is aware of what you do, read as ta'lamun and also ya'lamun, what they do. And put your trust in the command of Allah. Allah suffices as a guardian. Although this is all addressed to the Prophet وسلم, his community should follow him in all of it. Allah has not allotted to any man two hearts within his breast, refuting a claim by the unbelievers that someone had two hearts with which he understood, so that his intellect was greater than that of Muhammad وَمَا جَعَلَ أَزْوَاجَكُمُ اللَّائِي تُظَاهِرُونَ مِنْهُنَّ أُمَّهَاتِكُمْ Nor has he made those of your wives you equate with your mothers, your actual mothers. Read as, تُظَاهِرُونَ تَظَاهَرُونَ and تَظَاهَرُونَ This occurred when a man, by saying to his wife, You are to me like the back of my mother, thereby made her unlawful for him. They use this in the Jahiliyyah as a form of divorce. Expiation is obliged for it with its preconditions, as is mentioned in Surah Al-Mujadalah. وَمَا جَعَلَ أَدْعِيَاءَكُمْ أَبْنَاءَكُمْ Nor has he made your adopted sons your actual sons. The word for adopted sons, ad'iyya, is the plural of da'i and refers to those whom people call their sons when they are not really their sons. ذَلِكُمْ قَوْلُكُمْ بِأَفْوَاهِكُمْ These are just words coming out of your mouths, referring to the Jews and the hypocrites. When the Prophet ﷺ married Zainab bin Jahsh, who had been married to Zayd ibn Haritha, whom the Prophet ﷺ had adopted, they said, Muhammad ﷺ has married his son's wife. Those are things that Allah said that they lied about. But Allah speaks the truth about that and He guides to the way of truth. In verse number 4, there are a number of uh, points that are mentioned by Allah in this verse. The first of them is, Allah has not allotted to any man two hearts within his breast. And the author Taala gives a tafsir. But Ibn Kathir Taala has a different tafsir. And that is that he says that this is a, an introduction to the rest of the verse. That just as you cannot have two hearts, 
meaning that you cannot be two people. You can't be a mother and a father. You can't be the husband and the wife. You can't be the son and the daughter. Then likewise, your wives cannot be your mother and your wife. That is what Allah Azza wa is referring to. So it is an introduction to what will come later on in the verse. And that is the issue of zihar. Another said, and it is used often by the scholars to show that a person cannot concentrate on multiple things. That a person has to focus on what they're focused on. And so if you're reading or you're studying, you have to give that study that's in front of you your full attention. Allah hasn't given you two different hearts. So if you're on your phone and you're also listening to a lecture, then your concentration is either one or the other. You don't have 100% neither here nor there. That is also a meaning of this verse. Allah then says, subhanahu wa ta'ala, وَمَا جَعَلَ أَزْوَاجَكُمُ اللَّائِ تُظَاهِرُونَ مِنْهُنَّ أُمَّهَاتِكُمْ Nor has he made those of your wives you treat with your mothers, your actual mothers. And this is known as zihar. The word tadaharun comes from zihar. And zihar literally means the back, your back. And that is because the Arabs had this form of divorce. And this will come in further detail in, as the author mentions in Surah Al-Mujadala. And that is that the Arabs used to say to their wives, if they wanted to be rid of them, but without actually divorcing them, and this was from the evil practices of Jahiliyyah, that in order to oppress their wives, they would divorce them without divorcing them. So they would make them haram upon them for every other intent and purpose, but without giving them the freedom of divorce, without allowing them to be separated. So one of those ways is that they would say, Anti ummi. You are like me to the back of my mother, meaning that you are like my mother. Just as my mother has respect and honor, and there's certain things that I can't do with my mother in terms of what a husband and wife would do for marital relations, you are in that respect like my mother. That's not divorce, and it's not marriage. So now the wife is suspended. She can't go and she can't stay. She can't be treated like a wife and she cannot be treated like a wife. And this will come in further detail at the beginning of the 28th juz of the Quran, inshaAllah ta'ala. So Allah Azza wa Jal makes that haram. وَمَا جَعَلَ أَدْعِيَاءَكُمْ أَبْنَاءَكُمْ Nor has He made your adopted sons your actual sons. And that's why Ibn Kathir says, Rahimahullah, that the two hearts is a prelude. It is an introduction to all of these issues. Just as you can have two hearts, you can't have a son who's not your son, a wife who's your mother, and so on. And that is because at the beginning of Islam, an adopted son would become like a real son in terms of he would take the name, the surname of his adopted father. And so that was the practice of the Arabs. And that's why Ibn Umar radiallahu anhuma in the hadith in Sahih Bukhari says that before this verse was revealed, we would refer to Zayd radiallahu anhu. Zayd is the adopted son of the Prophet sallallahu We used to say that it, we used to call him Zayd ibn Muhammad. Zayd, the son of Muhammad. And Allah then said, don't do so. Call them by the names of their fathers. So we started to call him Zayd ibn Haritha because his father's name is Haritha. And so... This was the beginning of Islam, and so Allah Azza wa made this haram. And that ruling still applies today, that if a Muslim family adopts someone, the child doesn't take the surname of the Muslim family, or the family that has adopted them. They take the surname of their parents, they take the name of their father, whoever that may have been. And that is because Allah Azza wa the religion, one of the things that it does is it preserves people's lineage. It preserves people's lineage and it preserves the status of their parents. Call them after their fathers. That is closer to justice in Allah's sight. And 
And if you do not know who their fathers were, then they are, then they are your brothers in the deen and people under your patronage. وَلَيْسَ عَلَيْكُمْ جُنَاحٌ فِيمَا أَخْطَأْتُمْ بِهِ وَلَكِمْ مَا تَعَمَّدَتْ قُلُوبُكُمْ You are not to blame for any honest mistake you made, but only for what your hearts premeditate, intentionally after the prohibition. وَكَانَ اللَّهُ غَفُورًا رَحِيمًا Allah is ever forgiving of what you did before it was prohibited, most merciful to you in that regard. The Prophet has more right to the believers than their own selves with regard, to, with regard to what he invites them to when their own selves invite them to do something different. And his wives are their mothers in that it is forbidden for them to marry them. But blood relations have more right in respect of inheritance to one another in the book of Allah than the believers and muhajirun with regard to inheritance, which was the case at the beginning of Islam and then was abrogated. All the same, you should act correctly by your friends with regard to bequests which are permitted. That, meaning the abrogation of inheritance by virtue of faith and emigration in favor of inheritance by virtue of kinship, is inscribed in the book. The book in both places refers to the preserved tablet. In verse number 6, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, The Prophet has more right to the believers than their own selves. Sallallahu alayhi wa And this is mentioned in the hadith in Al-Bukhari of Abu Huraira radiallahu anhu. That the Prophet said, Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, I have more right to the believers than they do to their own selves in this life and the next. And then he said to them, read if you wish this verse. And that is the status of the Prophet Sallallahu that he has more right to the believers than themselves, meaning that is why the companions would sacrifice their lives and their wealth and their families for the Prophet Sallallahu He has more right to them than they have to themselves. And this verse then establishes the honor and the position and the virtue of the mothers of the believers and they are the wives of the Prophet and the scholars have an interesting discussion here then that if the Prophet is like a father to the Ummah and his wives are like the mothers does that mean that his daughters are like our sisters do we call like Fatima the sister of the believers do we call for example the cousins of the Prophet the uncles of the believers does it extend beyond just him and his wives, alayhi salam, or does it just, is it just restricted to them? And the opinion of the majority of the scholars is that it is restricted to them. So we don't say that, for example, Muawiyah is the uncle of the believers and others are because they have relations to the Prophet even though it is found in some of the books and some of the statements of the scholars. But they mean that as a term of respect, or not in the same way that we are referring to the mothers of the believers. The mothers of the believers means, as Al-Muhalli says, that they are your mothers, in the sense that you cannot marry them after the death of the Prophet and they have that station in Islam that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has afforded to them. And the blood relations have more right to one another in terms of inheritance. This is something that we mentioned previously in a similar verse that Allah abrogated the original ruling that was that the Muhajirin and Ansar would inherit from one another because of the pact of brotherhood at the beginning of the Medinan period and that was then later abrogated and the family rights of inheritance were established. Remember when we made a covenant with all the prophets 
when they emerged from the loins of Adam like atoms with you and with Nuh and Ibrahim and Musa and Isa and Maryam to worship Allah and invite people to worship him. The mention of five prophets is a use of the particular to designate the general. In other words, all the prophets are intended. We made a binding covenant with them to fulfill their task involving them swearing an oath by Allah to do so. And verse 7 is used by the scholars to show who the Ulul Azm of the prophets are. The Ulul Azm are the prophets of the highest determination. And they are considered to be the best of Allah's prophets and messengers. And this is the verse that they are named together. And that is our Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and Nuh and Ibrahim and Musa and Isa Alayhi Salatu Wasalam. So that he might question the truthful about the sincerity in conveying the message by which the unbelievers are rebuked. And he has prepared a painful punishment for the unbelievers. يا أيها الذين آمنوا اذكروا نعمة الله عليكم إذ جاءتكم جنود فأرسلنا عليهم ريحا وجنودا لم تروها You who believe, remember Allah's blessing upon you when forces of unbelievers came against you in companies during the time when the trench was dug and we sent a wind against them and other forces of angels you could not see وَكَانَ اللَّهُ بِمَا تَعْمَلُونَ بَصِيرًا Allah sees what you do, read as and also they do, referring to when the idolaters form in parties. In verse 9, from verse 9 onwards, now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will go into the story after which the, or the battle after which the surah is named, and that is the battle of Ahzab. And the battle of Ahzab is translated as the confederates, meaning the confederate armies that came. Confederates means a number of armies, because in the battle of Ahzab, it is not just the Quraysh that come to fight the Muslims, but it is all of the different Arab, major Arab tribes that come and unite together to come and fight the Muslims. So Quraysh after Badr and Uhud decides that actually now the way to destroy Islam, to destroy the Muslims and to destroy the city of Medina and to kill the Prophet is to bring all of the major Arab tribes together and then to come and to fight the Muslims as one united body. And that is what they do. And this battle is also known as the Battle of Khandaq, the Battle of the Trench. And that is because when the Prophet ﷺ heard news that they were coming to attack into Medina, he gathered the companions and sought their advice. And so they had to defend Medina from within. Because now, the Quraysh are not just simply coming to fight the people on the battlefield, they're coming to kill all of the Muslims and to destroy the city of Medina. How do we defend Medina? Salman al-Farsi radiallahu anhu said, O Messenger of Allah in Persia, where I'm from, when we have an army that wants to invade our cities, we dig a wide and deep trench. And that trench stops them coming in. And if they fall in, they're easy to attack and to kill. The Prophet ﷺ approved of this idea. And for a number of days and nights, the Prophet ﷺ and the companions dug a trench across the whole side of Medina. Because Medina has mountains on other sides that people cannot approach from. So the one side that they could come from, the Prophet ﷺ dug a trench. And he... Uh, prepared that trench before they came and that's where we have all of those stories of the Prophet ﷺ digging with the companions and the companions reciting poetry and the companions having extreme hunger and tiredness and fatigue and how they would tie stones to their stomachs and the Prophet ﷺ would tie double the stones that they would tie to their stomachs because of the situation that they were in so that those people, the army, when it comes from the confederates they would be able to uh, to defend the city of Medina.
إذ جاءوكم من فوقكم ومن أسفل منكم They came at you from above you and below you From the top and bottom of the wadi From the east and the west وَإِذْ زَاغَتِ الْأَبْصَارُ وَبَلَغَتِ الْقُلُوبُ الْحَنَاجِرَ وَتَظُنُّونَ بِاللَّهِ الظُّنُونَ When your eyes rolled, seeing nothing but the enemy on every side And your hearts rose to your throats A metaphor designating intensity of fear And you thought unworthy thoughts about Allah Going from expectation of victory to despair هُنَالِكَ بَتُلِيَ الْمُؤْمِنُونَ وَزُلْزِلُوا زِلْزَالًا شَدِيدًا At that point, the believers were tested to make it clear who was sincere and severely shaken by the intensity of the alarm they experienced. And so Allah Azzawajal is showing us from these verses how difficult and intense the situation was. That the companions of the Prophet ﷺ, everywhere they looked, they just saw enemies. And they were literally embedded in. And this will be the backlog to which the Prophet ﷺ will turn and he will expel Bani Quraidah and Bani Nadir, which are the Jewish tribes that used to live in Medina. Because the Quraysh were coming from one side and the real world of, of the Muslims was protected by those tribes that lived on the other side of Medina. They had a pact with the Muslims that they would defend the Muslims. They lived in Medina and they were allies to the Muslims. That was the pact that they made. But they would be treacherous and break that covenant. And so they have enemies all from around them, including them amongst their midst from the hypocrites as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will soon mention. And so Allah Azzawajal says that the, intent, the issue was extremely difficult for the believers and they were and like they were shaken to their core because of this test that Allah placed upon them. وَإِذْ يَقُولُ الْمُنَافِقُونَ وَالَّذِينَ فِي قُلُوبِهِمْ مَرَضٌ مَّا وَعَدَنَ اللَّهُ وَرَسُولُهُ إِلَّا غُرُورًا Remember when the hypocrites and people with sickness, meaning weakness of belief in their hearts, said, What Allah and His Messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, promised us regarding victory was mere delusion and false. And so Allah Azzawajal from verse 12 now will start to speak about the hypocrites. And as we know in the battle of Badr, in the battle of Uhud, it is always the hypocrites that are the thorn in the side of the Muslims. They're the ones who from within are trying to debilitate the Muslims. They're the ones who are trying to make them despondent, try to make them turn away. And so they are working increasingly in terms of what they wish to achieve. وَإِذْ قَالَ الطَّائِفَةٌ مِّنْهُمْ يَا أَهْلَ يَثْرِبَ لَا مُقَامَ لَكُمْ فَرْجِعُوا And a group of them, meaning the hypocrites, said, People of Yathrib, the old name of Medina, your position, read as Muqam and Maqam, is untenable. Literally, you have no place. So return to your homes in Medina. They had gone out with the Prophet ﷺ to sell a mountain outside of Medina to fight. وَيَسْتَأْذِنُ فَرِيقٌ مِّنْهُمُ النَّبِيَّ يَقُولُونَ إِنَّ بُيُوتَنَا عَوْرَةٌ وَمَا هِيَ بِعَوْرَةٌ Some of them asked the Prophet ﷺ for permission to go back and to excuse them, saying our houses are exposed, meaning that they were not fortified and they feared for their safety when they were not exposed. Allah said, إِن إِلَّا فِرَارًا It was merely that they wanted to run away from the battle. وَلَوْ دُخِلَتْ عَلَيْهِمْ مِنْ أَقْطَانِهَا ثُمَّ سُئِلُوا الْفِتْنَةَ لَآتَوْهَا وَمَا تَلَبَّثُوا بِهَا إِلَّا يَسِيرًا If they had been overrun in Medina from every side and had then been asked to revert to unbelief, meaning idol worship by the invaders, they would have done so and hesitated very little about it. Allah Azza wa in verses 13 and 14 is still speaking about the hypocrites and that the hypocrites said to the Muslims when they saw the impending armies coming, waiting to invade Medina, there's no point resisting. You may as well go to your homes and wait there, let them come in and hope for the best. 
And this is what the author رحم, is referring to. That they went with the Prophet to the mountain of As-Sala'. Sala' is the mountain where they dug the trench, Sala'. And it's today where you find the Sab'a Masajid, the seven mosques it is called, which is now not seven mosques, but one big mosque that has been made in, a, in the city of Medina. That is part of where the, the, the trench was dug. So just as they did in Nuhud, they come out with the Muslims and then they decide that they need to go back for whatever excuse that they make. They did the same in the Hazab and they said, Oh Messenger of Allah, we need to go and defend our properties. Our job is to look after our families, our homes. That's what we need to do. Even though by defending the city of Medina, they are defending their families and their properties. But clearly they do not wish to fight. And that's what Allah Azza wa says. And had the confederal armies come in and they said to them, disbelieve in the Prophet Sallallahu disbelieve in Islam, they would have done so without any hesitation or very little hesitation. وَلَقَدْ كَانُوا عَاهَدُوا اللَّهَ مِنْ قَبْلُ لَا يُوَلُّونَ الْأَدْبَارِ Yet, they had previously made a contract with Allah that they would never turn their backs. Contracts made with Allah will be asked about, and whether they were fulfilled or not. Say, flight will not benefit you if you try to run away from death or being killed, because after you flee, then you will only enjoy a short respite. You will have a short time of enjoyment in this world before you die. قُلْ مَنْ ذَا الَّذِي يَعْصِمُكُمْ مِنَ اللَّهِ إِنْ أَرَادَ بِكُمْ سُوءًا أَوْ أَرَادَ بِكُمْ رَحْمَةً Say, who is going to shield you and protect you from Allah if he desires evil, meaning destruction and defeat for you, or who is going to inflict evil on you if Allah desires mercy, meaning good for you? وَلَا يَجِدُونَ لَهُمْ مِنْ دُونِ اللَّهِ وَلِيًّا وَلَا نَصِيرًا They will find no one to protect or help themselves or help them besides Allah. No one but Allah can benefit them or keep them from harm. قَدْ يَعْلَمُ اللَّهُ الْمُعَوِّقِينَ مِنْكُمْ وَالْقَائِلِينَ لِإِخْوَانِهِمْ هَلُمَّ إِلَيْنَا وَلَا يَأْتُونَ الْبَأْسَ إِلَّا قَلِيلًا Allah knows the obstructors among you who hinder others from fighting jihad. And those who say to their brothers, come to us, and who only come to fight a very little, merely for appearance's sake. أَشِحَّةً عَلَيْكُمْ And are begrudging as regards helping you. فَإِذَا جَاءَ الْخَوْفُ رَأَيْتَهُمْ يَنْظُرُونَ إِلَيْكَ تَدُورُ أَعْيُنُهُمْ كَالَّذِي يُغْشَى عَلَيْهِ مِنَ الْمَوْتِ Then when fear comes, you see them looking at you, their eyes rolling like people scared to death, like someone in its throes. فَإِذَا ذَهَبَ الْخَوْفُ سَلَقُوكُمْ بِأَلْسِنَةٍ حِدَادٍ أَشِحَّةً عَلَى الْخَيْرِ But when fear departs and beauty is taken, they flay you with sharp tongues, harming you with their words, grasping for wealth, greedy to have some of the beauty. أُولَٰئِكَ لَمْ يُؤْمِنُوا فَأَحْبَطَ اللَّهُ أَعْمَالَهُمْ Such people do not truly believe and Allah will make their actions come to nothing. وَكَانَ ذَلِكَ عَلَى اللَّهِ يَسِيرًا That is easy for Allah if He so wishes. In verse number 19, Allah Azza wa describes the hypocrites. Now when death comes before them, you see them in intense fear because they fear death and they fear the next life and they fear what may happen to them if they pass away and they have to stand before Allah Azza wa and be held to account. But as soon as that death leaves, meaning the threat of death or the fear of death leaves them, then they turn upon the Muslims and they want their share of the booty and they fear that they've been hard done by and they complain that no justice has been done to them. Just as we mentioned concerning that man, a number of times who came to the Prophet and said, Oh Muhammad, be just, for this is a, a division of booty that is not 
just. And the Prophet said to him, Woe to you, and who will be justified and just? And so these are the people who in times of fighting and difficulty, they're nowhere to be seen. But in times of ease, they're at the front asking for their and demanding their rights and saying that they require and deserve more than they have been given. They think that the confederates of the unbelievers have not departed for Mecca because they are so afraid of them. And if the confederates did appear again, then they would wish they were out in the desert with the desert Arabs asking for news of you with the unbelievers. If they were with you, they would only fight it very little for appearances sake because of their fear. لقد كان لكم في رسول الله أسوة حسنة لمن كان يرجو الله واليوم الآخر وذكر الله كثيرا. You have an excellent model read as Uswa and Iswa in the Messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم with regard to imitating him in fighting and in remaining firm in his position. <coughs> For all of you who put their hope in Allah and fear him and the last day and remember Allah much. Allah Azza wa Jal in verse 21 gives us this amazing principle and that is that we find in the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam the best of examples as the companions found on the day of Ahzab when those different and as they're digging the trench and they're preparing it is the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam who is raising their spirits number one because he's in the trench with them digging as they are digging and as they're feeling that tiredness and that fatigue and that hunger they see that the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam is experiencing more hunger than them but then also because the Prophet ﷺ is keeping them firm and steadfast. And in the midst of a hazab, in the digging of the trench, when the Muslims are at one of their most difficult points in the period and the history of Islam, the Prophet ﷺ is giving them glad tidings and good news. And is telling them that don't worry, the ending will be for you and you will be the ones who will conquer not only the Quraysh and the Arabs who have come to fight you, but others beyond them. As is mentioned in the narration of the stone boulder, that the companions were trying to break down as they were digging the trench and were unable to do so. So they came and found the Prophet ﷺ and said, Oh Messenger of Allah, there's a boulder that we cannot break. So the Prophet ﷺ went and he struck it once and he said, Allahu Akbar, all praises for Allah. I can see the treasures of Byzantine Rome being presented to me. And then he struck it again and a part of it broke. And he said, Allahu Akbar, I can see the Persians and their treasures being laid out for me. And so the Prophet ﷺ at this time despite the difficulty, is showing them to have that hope in Allah, that trust in Allah, that certainty in the promise of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then that is a general principle, that in any part of our life that we're in, if we were to look back at the life of the Prophet sallallahu and look at his sunnah and read it and, and contemplate it, we would find many lessons and examples for us therein. وَلَمَّا رَأَى الْمُؤْمِنُونَ الْأَحْزَابَ قَالُوا هَذَا مَا وَعَدَنَا اللَّهُ وَرَسُولُهُ When the believers saw the confederates of the unbelievers, they said, This is what Allah and His Messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, promised us in terms of victory and testing. وَصَدَقَ اللَّهُ وَرَسُولُهُ Allah and His Messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, told us the truth with respect to this promise. وَمَا زَادَهُمْ إِلَّا إِيمَانًا وَتَسْلِيمًا it only increased them in belief in Allah's promise and in submission to His command. In verse 22, and that is the sign of Iman, the sign of the believers. That when hardship comes to them, they say, that is what Allah promised us. When we have tests, Allah told us in the Quran that He would test us. 
When Allah Azza wa Jal takes away from us people that we love or we have poverty or we have difficulty or we have illness, Allah tells us in the Quran that He will test us in different ways with the loss of life and the loss of provision and with fear and so on. And Allah tells us when we will be tested. And so the sign of the believers and the companions is when they saw that test, they said, Allah promised us this. Allah told us this would happen. But Allah Azza wa Jal also told us the way that we overcome that test and the way that we are successful in that test. And that is by being patient with Allah's decree and turning to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and coming closer to Allah Azza wa Jal. Minal mu'mineen rijalun sadaqu ma'ahadullaha alayhi Among the believers, there are men who have been true to the contract they made with Allah. A reference to their undertaking to remain firm with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. فَمِنْهُمْ مَنْ قَضَى نَحْبَهِ Some of them have fulfilled their pact by death, by dying or being killed in the way of Allah. وَمِنْهُمْ مَنْ يَنْتَظِرُ وَمَا بَدَّلُوا تَبْدِيلًا And some are still waiting to do so, not having changed their contract in any way at all. This is def- different from the state of the hypocrites. In verse number 23, Allah Azza wa Jal says, مِنَ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ رِجَالٌ صَدَقُوا مَا عَهَدُ اللَّهَ عَلَيْهِ فَمِنْهُمْ مَنْ قَضَى نَحْبَهِ the believers are men who have been true to the contract they made with Allah and some of them have fulfilled their pact by death. In the hadith in Al-Bukhari, Anas radiallahu anhu says, and from those people was my uncle Anas ibn al-Nadar radiallahu anhu, who died on the day of Uhud. He said that he was struck and injured with over 80 blows to his body. Over 80 blows. And the only way that he could be recognized was by his sister coming and looking at one of his fingers. She recognized him by a finger because that is how many blows and injuries he had to his body that no one else could recognize him except his sister who recognized him by that. He says, Anas he says, my uncle was from those people that fulfilled their contract that this verse was revealed about him. And it's possible that it was revealed about him and other than him because even the tafsir of Al-Mahadi rahimahullah ta'ala meaning uh, those who have fulfilled their pact by death, meaning by dying or by killed, by being killed in the way of Allah. Not only those who were killed by in the way of Allah جل, but those who fought and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was pleased with them. Because the Prophet said Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam concerning Talha ibn Ubaidillah radiallahu Talha is from amongst those people who have fulfilled their contract. And Talha radiallahu dies many years after the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. لِيَجْزِيَ اللَّهُ الصَّادِقِينَ بِصِدْقِهِمْ وَيُعَذِّبَ الْمُنَافِقِينَ إِنْ شَاءَ أَوْ يَتُوبَ عَلَيْهِمْ So that Allah might recompense the truthful for their sincerity and punish the hypocrites if he wills by making them die in their unbelief or turn towards them. إِنَّ اللَّهَ كَانَ غَفُورًا رَحِيمًا Allah is ever forgiving to those who repent, most merciful. وَرَدَّ اللَّهُ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا بِغَيْضِهِمْ لَمْ يَنَالُوا خَيْرًا Allah sent back those who disbelieved, meaning the confederates, in their rage without their achieving any good at all, with respect to their desire to defeat the believers. Allah saved the believers from having to fight by sending the angels and the wind. Allah is most strong, enabling him to bring into being whatever he wishes, almighty, controlling all things. And it is as Allah says in verse 25:: Allah sent back those who disbelieved in their rage without them having achieved anything that they set out to achieve. And that is that when the Quraysh came and the Arab tribes, the confederates, they came and they found a ditch. 
that they didn't expect a trench dug and that was the last thing that they were expecting because it wasn't common in Arabia as a means of warfare it's something which Salman al-Farsi mentions as something which he saw the Persians doing and so when they came they had to set up camp and they laid siege to the city but they can't attack and they can't go in and there are very few skirmishes that take place there is very actual little fighting that takes place because they are unable to penetrate the city of Medina and the companions are defending the city from within so Allah says he saved them and after a number of days of them camping there of them becoming irritated the, the Quraysh of them losing that morale amongst themselves some of them decide that they want to leave and others from amongst them decide that they want to stay and some of them are like we've had enough nothing's going to happen here they're not going to leave and we can't get in so we're just going to go back and so they start to have disunity and division amongst themselves and then Allah sends upon them a severe wind that blows away their camps and blows away their tents and some of the animals run away and so on and so they lose all heart and they despair and they turn away and they go back to where they came from and Allah therefore made it a victory for the believers with a minimal amount of fighting and that is why the Prophet said in the hadith in Al-Bukhari of Sulaiman ibn Sa'd after this battle he said from now on we will fight them, they will not fight us, we will not wait for them again. Meaning that Badr is when they come to attack the Muslims. Uhud is when they come to attack the Muslims. Ahzab now is when they come to attack the Muslims. The Prophet said never again. We will now go on the offensive. We will not wait for them to continuously come and attack us. And that is why that is the last battle in which the Prophet fights it in Medina or close to Medina. After this, you have the Treaty of Hudaybiyah, you have the conquest of Mecca, you have Hunayn, you have Tabuk. They're all battles in which the Prophet ﷺ goes out himself away to them, rather than waiting for them to come to him. He brought down from their fortresses those of the people of the book, meaning the Jewish clan of Quraidah, who supported them and cast terror into their hearts. You killed some of them, meaning those who were fighters, and some you took prisoner. He bequeathed their land, their houses, and their wealth to you, and another land you had not yet trodden on. The first reference is to the expulsion of Quraidah from Medina, the second to Khaybar, which was taken well after this was revealed. وَكَانَ اللَّهُ عَلَى كُلِّ شَيْءٍ قَدِيرًا Allah has power over all things. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in verses 26 and 27 He then mentions the issue of the fighting of Bani Quraidah and Bani Nadir and we said that these were the tribes that had made a pact with the Muslims that they would protect the Muslims that they wouldn't be treacherous wouldn't allow the Muslims to be to be attacked from their side. But when the confederal armies came, they were treacherous and they broke that contract. And they said to them, we will help you to the confederal armies, come and attack the Muslims from this way. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with that wind sent those armies returning. The Prophet ﷺ from the companions who was injured, and very few of them died, but one who was injured, was the companions mentioned in Sahih Muslim, Sa'ad ibn Mu'ad, radiyallahu anhu, the leader of the tribe of the Aws, and one of the senior companions to the Prophet ﷺ. And the Prophet ﷺ, it is said that after the battle, and, and Sa'ad ibn Mu'ad would die from his injuries later. And he's the one about whom the Prophet ﷺ said that the throne of Allah shook due to the death of Sa'ad. 
Ibn Mu'ad radiyallahu an. And the Prophet said concerning that if anyone was to be saved from the restriction of the grave, it would be Sa'd ibn Mu'ad radiyallahu an, a very senior companion and a very major and senior person in the, in the history of Islam. Sa'd ibn Mu'ad was injured. He would later die from his injuries. The Prophet set up for him a tent in his masjid so that he would be close by to him and that he could go and he could visit him. And this is immediately after the battle and the Quraysh dispersed. The Prophet then goes home and he starts to take off his armor and put down his weapons. Jibreel comes to him and he says, O Muhammad, have you put down your weapons? For we, the angels, have not put down our weapons. The Prophet said, so what does that mean? He said, let us go to Banu Quraidah. And so the Prophet would go to Banu Quraidah and Banu Nadir and he would expel them from the city of Medina. And with that, inshallah ta'ala, we will come to the end of today's session and we finish, therefore we stop at verse number 27 of Surah Al-Ahzab. Wa sallallahu ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in wa akhiru da'wana an alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. This recording was produced by Green Lane Masjid. For more information on the activities and services the mosque provides, please visit www.greenlanemasjid.org.